It's a good football team we played, and give them credit. They played better than us tonight. But there's a lot of errors that we made that were totally on us. And uh, a lot of opportunities that were there that I know we can make. And I think we'll make a couple more of those and get the momentum back that, that we're capable of as a program and as a team. One big win against a really good football team here next week. And this whole thing feels different. Sometimes when you haven't played your best, you get that feeling of, well, you're a long, long, long ways away. And the reality is we're not that far away. It's just all too familiar, isn't it? Oh, oh man. At, at least, at least he had sense enough to rephrase it and not just say, we're close. But especially that final sentiment, Tyler, that was, we're close. In a very, very, I don't even know what you want to call it, transposed manner. <laughs> the essence of that sentiment was, we're close. And we all heard it. You know, I uh, I laugh yesterday. A lot of you on Twitter sent that to me yesterday morning, which I, I, I do appreciate. Thank you very much for that. Um, I watched that, I don't know, eight, ten times and just laughed about, golly, man, I've heard that so many times. Most predictable thing ever. Yeah, they're close, all that. One, no, no, they're not. It wasn't about Saturday's loss. It was about all the events so far this season for USC that's led up to that. But there was something about – Hearing that in the moment just then that made me think, thank God that is not our garbage anymore. Thank God that you don't lose games around here and the head coach stands up there and says we're close over and over and over again and it's the same exact message. Um, I, I put it out on Twitter. I said it last hour. I think OU fans should be very, very thankful for November 28th, 2021 a giant blessing in disguise, and um, boy, Parker, it just, it wasn't just about that one loss for USC, like I said, it's all the events that led up to that loss, that blowout loss at Notre Dame, and 18 months after the fact, it feels like those two programs, OU and USC, are, man, it feels like they're heading in opposite directions right now, and maybe that's just me, but I don't, I don't think that it is. And given the way that USC performed Saturday night in South Bend, Tyler, can you realistically expect that things are going to be any different when they play, say, Utah this weekend or Washington further down the line or Oregon towards the end of the season? Tyler, no. <laughs> yeah, Saturday, night, Saturday night was a rude awakening for USC fans, but man, the road ahead is daunting. Uh, yeah. if, if Saturday hurt, there is a world of hurt that has yet to arrive. Yeah, look, we've seen Notre Dame look average on a, uh, on a couple of occasions so far this year. They did not look good uh, against Louisville uh, a couple of weeks ago. Notre Dame is not, like, that's not the toughest cha challenge for USC this year. They've got tougher games upcoming, and throughout their final, you know, back half of the season, USC might have the toughest schedule in all of college football remaining. They're, they're at least in there in that group, and Utah owned them twice. I know Cam Rising isn't playing. Cam Rising maybe not, won't play in L.A., but it doesn't matter, man. It's the physicality. It's the blueprint is out there, and we recognized it. We saw it here, and it's not. it's the same thing at USC, man. It's the same thing out there in L.A., 
And I continue to hold the opinion, Parker, that he's not going to change. He's not going to change what that program's all about. Dude's not winning a national championship in college football. I, I say you, you can forget about that. He's had the elite of the elite with quarterback play. He hasn't gotten close, no matter how many times he says he's close. He's not winning a title at USC or anywhere else. No, and, well, I, I, I believe this is what you mean, but let me just clarify. He will not win a national championship as a head coach. Correct. Yes. Now, if he were to take a step back and just be an offensive coordinator, then, then you might have something cooking. But as a head coach, no. His blueprint, his one-dimensional style of roster construction, it is not conducive to championship contention. No. And you're beginning to see that because how much work did he put in via the transfer portal this offseason, Tyler, to beef up the trenches, to beef up the offensive line and the defensive line and improve the overall quality of play out at USC in those two areas. Where is the improvement, Tyler? There is. I, Where I mean, is it? They spent a lot of money on a condo in downtown L.A. for Bear Alexander, but it doesn't look like it's paying off all that much now, now does it? And you want to uh, know why? Because you still got Benny Wiley and the kettlebells on the yep. scene. Yeah. You yeah, can buy they... you can buy Bear Alexander an apartment. But buying that dude an apartment is not going to unlock his best football. What is going to unlock his best football is giving him some motivation to excel. And I... he doesn't have that motivation at USC because what you did was you made a very comfy nest for that kid. And you get you made him a lot of promises and you said, "Hey, you know what? Come here." You can be the star of this defense. You can make an impact. You can help us chase a championship. And here's all the bling and all the benefits you'll get along the way. And that, in many ways, is emblematic of USC's entire approach to football under Mule Shoot, Tyler. Yeah. It's just nice that that's not it's not anyone around here's problem anymore. Like, whether Brent wins one or not, regardless of what this team does the remainder of the year, I think that they're going to continue to win a lot of games. But I think that we can all see OU and this staff, they have the right blueprint on how to get back to winning a championship. Um, they're doing that through recruiting. They're doing that through culture. Like, they're just building it the right way, and you're seeing that pay off right now um, this season with the 6-0 and start, the recruiting class that you have. I think we can all acknowledge that OU's headed in the right direction. They have the right blueprint to, uh, to get back to winning a national championship. So it was – it was enjoyable. The Mario Williams fumble uh, six, uh, fumble for a touchdown, was was maybe my favorite moment of the game. That was great. The special teams blunder for USC that cost them a touchdown was awesome. All of it was just great, except the broadcast. And normally I'm not that oh, guy. Gosh. But when my wife, oh, Parker, gosh. says, is this the B team that they have? Talking about the broadcast. I, I wish they just would have put two random OU fans on the broadcast Bruh. that night because it would have been much more exciting than uh, Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett. What an absolutely miserable – and look, nothing against those two personally. I have no ill will towards either Jack Collinsworth or Jason Garrett, but both of them by nature are just so devoid of emotion yeah. that gosh, it was like it was like watching a football game in the waiting room of the dentist's office. I mean, seriously, like, where's the, where's the emotion? Like, there's a big play for a touchdown, and just like nothing, no, no energy whatsoever. I'm telling you, we we should have gotten Gunny and Cherokee sooner 
on the broadcast, and it would have been epic. It would have been awesome. It would have been much better than the guys who were getting paid a ton of money to, to call that game. Hey, but Tyler, you want to play a fun game here? Yeah, I'd love USC to. is ranked 18th in the new AP Top 25 poll. Obviously, they would not be favored to beat any of the teams ranked above them. But let's talk about the teams below them. How many of these teams would be favored to beat USC on a neutral field? LSU at 19. Oh, yeah, I think they definitely would, even though their defense is trash. LSU's like the USC of the SEC. That's pretty true. LSU, I think, would be favored. Yeah, they're the USC of the SEC, but they're SEC nonetheless. Correct. USC is not. Missouri at 20. Pick them? I think USC would be slightly favored over Missouri. I actually think Missouri would win that game. Really? Much as it pains me to say it, I would take Missouri over USC. Louisville at 21. Did uh, Louisville lost at Pitt this past weekend, correct? They also thrashed Notre Dame the week before that. Yeah, um, like I I think who would win the game and who would be favored in the game might be a a different answer. I mean, like this USC team, like you can can go on through the rest of the top 25. USC could lose to any team in the top 25. They barely beat a Colorado team that was banged up. I know Arizona looks a lot better now, but they were lucky to win that game. They got thrashed by – Notre Dame, obviously, but like, I can't say for certain that they're going to win any game down the stretch. And I don't think that they're going to go over. I don't think they'll lose their last six games to end the year. But can you tell me with a straight face that there's an automatic win left on their schedule? Well, that, you, Utah the, at home, or even at Cal in two weeks, well, I can't do that. Like, think about it. The, the best, like the easiest matchup for them the rest of the way. Oh no, wait, they already played Arizona. I was thinking they still had to play Arizona. Arizona just went up to Pullman and beat 18th ranked Washington State 44 to six. So, yeah, look, the Pac-12. There's actually decent depth in that conference. There's actually several football teams that are pulling their weight, as opposed to years past where you've had one or two, and then the rest are middling, if nothing else. Here is the bowl matchup. That I want, Tyler. This is the matchup come late December, early January that I would give anything to see. USC versus number twenty-four Iowa. Oh my! God. The six and one <laughs> Iowa Hawkeyes. Because Tyler, Iowa has the worst. To- they have the worst offense in the FBS by a mile. It they is not remotely yards. close. They threw for 37 yards against Wisconsin this past Saturday. Like, yep, they are 131st out of 131 FBS teams in total offense. And they're like 35 or 40 yards behind the next closest team, which is Eastern Michigan. And yet they are 6-1. and one. So you want to talk about two completely diametrically different styles of football. It does not get any more diametrically different than Iowa and USC. You know the only person that wants to see a USC-Iowa matchup in a bowl game even more than you? That's Brian Ferentz, who's trying to get to a points quota this year. Parker, he could be 70 points off of uh, that number this year. I don't think that they're uh, ahead, of the, ahead of the chains on, on that number, Iowa's offensive coordinator. Hell, he might get to that number against USC. <laughs> Iowa, Iowa could put up points against USC's defense at this point. Uh, we need we need an Iowa quotient, a way to measure every single FBS program in the country against the standard that is Iowa. Five out of USC's next six games are against ranked opponents. Utah's 14, 
Washington's five, Oregon's nine, UCLA is 25. Now, the narrative on Muleshoe has already really started to shift this year, and I think it started a little bit in that Tulane game last year. Then they give up 28 to San Jose State in week one, and people were like, what's going on there? Now I think it's kind of a full-on assault out there in L.A. I think the narrative locally out there in L.A. and nationally going into this offseason, Parker, is, wait a minute. This guy had a Heisman winner in Baker Mayfield. This guy had a Heisman winner in Kyler Murray. He had a a Heisman runner-up in Jalen Hurts, and now he had Caleb Williams as a Heisman trophy, and he hasn't won one playoff game. What has this guy really done with three Heisman winners and a Heisman runner-up? I think that's going to be the outlook on Muleshoe, both locally out there on the West Coast and nationally, after he finishes off with about an 8-4 and record this year. I, I think that that's what it is moving forward. I, I just love that the Notre Dame game and the way that the fighting Irish and Marcus Freeman is spo- exposed the Trojans' deficiencies has finally shed a light nationally on what we have known about Lincoln Riley for eons, Tyler. I- I'm glad the rest of the nation is finally coming around to the truth. Yeah. OU fans were right. That's the message today throughout the show. OU fans were right. And OU fans are a lot happier now than where they were 18 months ago. And um, I just love that you all keep receipts. I think that's great. I love it. Colin Cowherd 18 months ago says, feel bad for at OU football. USC going to need about 18 months, and they'll be flying past them, around them, over them. This recruiting class will be otherworldly. Best offensive head coach in college with these weapons can't quit smiling. Well, it's been about 18 months since that comment. And uh, OU-USC heading in opposite directions, and OU has massively out-recruited USC up to this point. Oh, boy. Uh, all right, 405-651-3439 is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. You guys are killing it right now on the text line. We'll get to those. We'll get to big news in the OU-UCF game coming up this weekend. We'll do it all coming up next right here on The Ref. for the homeless Sooner fans. I've been trying to call It is the rush on the ref on this Reaction Monday. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, no Teddy today. He's at a golf tournament. He'll be back tomorrow. I am at the Newcastle Casino today where happy hour is underway. Every Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m., 450 Budweiser, Bud Light, Michelob Ultra cans, 554 well drinks. It's happy hour every Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. here at the Newcastle Casino. I really like this text from Indecisive Sooner on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. It says, so allow me to uh, to assume correctly, Texas and USC fans can talk trash all offseason about OU's performance last year and even make fun of our culture and state, but the second we pull receipts, we're considered salty? It's a very fair point. And if people want to label us as salty, like I have no, I have no issue being salty or being labeled as salty, that's fine. So Matt Liner can say whatever the hell he wants. If salty is the word that he would like to use, like, yeah, I, I, uh, we, we, we can go there rather quickly. And at this point, you just let the play on the field do the talking because that's going to speak real loudly over the next couple of months. Oklahoma has a very clear path to 12-0. USC, Tyler, has a very clear path to 8-4, and 7-5, <laughs> or hell, even six and six. Uh, that'd be sweet. Nah, that'd be awesome. Sooner Gary says, honestly, if Mike Gundy had a Kyler Baker or Caleb, he would have had OSU in the national championship game. 
Well, I think there's a lot of coaches that if they had a Kyler Baker or a Caleb Williams would have their team in the national championship game. And here's what I'm guessing is going to happen, Parker. And at the end of the year, yeah, they're 8-4, and 9-3, and three, whatever. It's labeled as a disappointing year after it was playoff or bust entering the season. He'll probably fire Alex Grinch, and maybe some will say, all right, well, let, let's see what he does here moving forward with the new defense coordinator. I'm sorry, man. No, Alex Grinch or not, like it, it's going to be the same story as long as he's the head coach out there. I, I don't think anything's really going to be all that different. He may be get a better defensive coordinator, but to me, he's still always going to operate and run a program with little to no defense. So what I hear you saying is Muleshoe is going to be USC's head coach in the year 2024. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not going. Because I, I definitely think there's a possibility he is in the uh, NFL. Because, I mean, look, if Caleb Williams – look, I know Caleb and his dad can talk a big game about, well, we're not going to – not going to make the jump to the NFL unless the situation's right. No, the situation isn't going to get any better if you wait another year. So right. he will be the number one overall pick in the 2024 draft. And if Muleshoe realizes, as he must, that his quarterback play is going to see a drop-off from Caleb Williams to literally anyone else, whether that be Miller Moss or Malachi Nelson or or pick a USC quarterback, right? You have to understand that in 2024, you are no longer going to have a quarterback that is anywhere close exactly. to Caleb Williams' level. Yep. And so at yep. that point, if an NFL opportunity presents itself, are you cashing in your chips? Because, heck, if I'm in his shoes, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, well, maybe he tries to get someone via the portal, but it's you're right, man. He's not going to have a Caleb Williams on the roster next year. That program with him as head coach has one way to win. Have the best player on the field at QB and outscore him. And the moment that they don't have that, hell, I mean, even right now they do have that, and they're still going to have about two to three more losses. When they don't have that, then it's going to get really bad, really bad after that. And, oh, I can't wait for it. 918, too busy to text. Getting my nails done for upcoming Utah, said one sophisticated USC fan. I'm guessing you saw the Notre Dame fan that rushed the field and yelled him uh, at Caleb for his nails. I'm guessing you saw that. I did see. I, and look, that was I, a little uh, out there. But yeah, yeah, don't don't be that guy, please. <laughs> like, it, at th- that when that is captured on video, like it may seem cool in the moment. That's going to follow you the rest of your life. Okay, you will always be the kid that harassed Caleb Williams walking off the field at Notre Dame Stadium. And again, it's cool for an evening while everybody's celebrating. I guarantee you're going to look back on that later down the line and go, that was kind of stupid. And everybody else is going to look back on that, and they're going to go, man, that was really stupid. (laughs) Lindsay says we need salty shirts. Lindsay, that is a heck of an idea, and let me look into that possibility (laughs) on the K-Ref store. Salty and proud of it, or we can – we can work salty. You can in there do somewhere. a uh, you can do a caricature of Matt Liner's face oh, yelling yes, salty. How about this possibility? Because uh, rumors are crazy right now about Jalen Daniels and why he's not playing for Kansas. This texter from the nine one eight says KU quarterback to USC via the portal. Now no. I would not put it past Mulesu. I don't think that's going to happen, but I wouldn't put it past old Mulesu to try to tamper with some QB during the middle of the season. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past no, him. No, I wouldn't put it past him. But even so, 
Jalen Daniels is not Caleb Williams. No one is Caleb Williams. So there are two options here. Two options as I see it, Tyler. Either you – I mean, you're going to have to overhaul your defense, your trenches, basically your entire roster because you cannot trust the same guys in that locker room right now to make a quantum improvement, especially not in Benny Wiley's strength and conditioning regimen from 2023 to 2024. So you're either going to have to overhaul your roster across the board and bring in loads of talent, immediate contributors via the transfer portal, or you're going to take some lumps in 2024. Because if USC is an 8-4 and four team this year with Caleb Williams, Tyler, what are they next year without Caleb Williams? And he's not a rebuild type of a head coach. You no, know what I mean? No, he's he, not. He is a guy that... Let's put together something really quickly. Let's get it via the portal. Let's get it now. Let's put a Band-Aid on some certain situations. It's not really built for longevity. Like, like we pointed out several times, like he inherited an unbelievable roster and an unbelievable quarterback at OU, and OU just kind of got worse and worse and worse and worse the more that he was around. So, yeah, he's just, I don't know, he's like a microwave head coach essentially is what he is. Now, I'm a little bit nervous as to read some of these T-shirt ideas on the air uh, because others might steal them, but they're so good, I think I have to read them. Matt from Moore says, how about a salty and unsophisticated T-shirt? I like that. Um, Someone else said uh, salty and sophisticated with sophisticated spelled wrong on purpose. That's from Panda in Texas. (laughs) guys are great these are awesome ideas cherokee I'll, I'll cherokee sooner five-star texter cherokee sooner submitted another banger via the knipple myers Chevrolet text line that water hose really worked didn't it <laughs> yeah should have done it with the offense instead of special zach branch muffed happened. a punt zach yep. branch muffed a punt and watching that i i audibly cackled I was, I was like, you literally you literally brought out water hoses to the practice field to try and make sure that your punt returners wouldn't muff a punt. And then it happened anyway. Uh, by the way, and we'll get back to uh, making fun of Mule Shoe in the text line, but uh, news for OU-UCF on Saturday. Uh, they have confirmed that John Rice Plumley will start for UCF. So he got hurt in that Boise game. can't remember if that was week two or week three. He'd been sidelined for a couple of weeks. He came back um, in their loss a couple of weeks ago. UCF had a bye this past week, but that's big news for them that they're starting quarterback. And, I mean, really, man, one of the best players on their team, John Rice Plumley, is going to start. Does that change your opinion on the outlook of this game Saturday? No, it really doesn't. Like I, I was under the impression that John Rice Plumley was going to play, and – the game and the narratives on Saturday have much less to do with John Rice Plumley and much more to do with UCF's atrocious defense. Ooh, it's bad. Dylan Gabriel, you know he's going to have some motivation to come out there and light it up against his former team. But he probably won't face very stiff opposition when it comes to lighting it up and airing it out. Well, I mean, I could read some numbers off to, to back that up, and this is in... This is Big 12 stats only, which UCF 0-3 in conference thus far. Uh, their defense in conference play, giving up 43.7 points per game. 43.7 points per game. That's last in the Big 12. Uh, they're giving up 490 yards per game. 
That's next to last in the Big 12. And in three games, Parker, they've given up 833 rushing yards, which is also last in the conference. So Dylan Gabriel should have a big day. Yes, you're you're correct. This run game should also have a big day as well. And I know that not everyone's crazy about OU's running game right now. That's fine. But this is a very, very, very gettable UCF front seven. So who eats Saturday? Tawi Walker? Yeah. And someone texted in earlier and said, hey, guys, your thoughts. I just don't think Tawi Walker is ever going to be a number one running back. And maybe we can get to that text later on this hour. But, I mean, I think he is OU's number one running back right now. Like, you can argue or debate, like, can OU win a title if he's your number one running back? But I think he is. I think he, that's been proven. And I'm going to guess that, yeah, man, it's Tawi Walker and Marcus Major 1-2 going into Saturday. And you kind of have to roll with that assumption until we find out otherwise. Because how many weeks in a row did we expect? Okay, yeah, this is the week you get either Javante Barnes or Gavin Sawchuk involved on a more regular basis. And it just hasn't happened. So, yeah, again, I think if Oklahoma is to contend for a championship – I do think you need somebody out of the backfield on a regular basis that can give you a little bit more explosiveness than Tawi Walker. That doesn't necessarily mean Javante Barnes and or Gavin Sawchuk has to be the bell cow. You just have to be getting the ball in either of those guys' hands. I would say double-digit touches in every game. I think Tawi Walker can and will be a cornerstone of the backfield rotation going forward. But... That is kind of my one long-term concern for Oklahoma is can you get to the point where you're confident enough in the traditional running game, i.e. not Dylan Gabriel scrambling and making stuff happen with his legs. Can you get to a point where you're confident enough in the traditional running game that you don't have to lean on Dylan Gabriel's arm to put up 30, 40 points in a football game? Yeah. Uh, Good offense, terrible defense. That's kind of UCF in a nutshell. Uh, Last in penalties as well in uh, Big 12 play. So they haven't been a disciplined football team. They're, they're good on offense. They, they, they've, uh, they do some nice things on that side, but just defensively, they're, they're, they're bad. No other way to say it. Panda in Texas says, Tawi is running for 150, 63-13 Sooners. And though UCF does not have a win in conference play this year, if you were to win 63-13 against these guys, uh, that'd be one heck of a win, and we could put to bed the concerns of, well, was the reaction after the Texas win too much? Are they focused? Are, are, are they still ready to go? You win 63-13 or, hell, even cover the 18-and-a-half-point spread this week, I think people are saying, oh, yeah, yeah this team was focused. They're going to be all right. The, the Texas win wasn't too much. Well, and I would go a step further. I think if Oklahoma really throttles UCF Saturday, they probably pick up, they probably pick up a couple of first-place votes when the polls come out on Sunday. They might. They might, man. Um Big news for one of those teams that has first-place votes. Looks like Brock Bowers could be out for the remainder of the regular season. Think that changes things, the national landscape? That, ooh. They just lost their best player. Ooh. Yeah, so I I knew he was hurt. I knew he was having surgery. I hadn't seen yet that that was expected to cost him the remainder of the season. And if that is the case, man, that opens things up even more than it already is in the race for the college football playoff. Yeah, and maybe there's some thought that he could be out for or, or be back at least for a playoff game or, you know, something like that. But he's undergoing ankle surgery today, likely missing the remainder of the regular season is what most are reporting. Um, so that's that's a big 
big loss for the Georgia Bulldogs. Not not just Georgia's best player. One of the best players in college football this year, Brock Bowers. He's, he's legit. Also, OU Kansas. Yeah, you guessed it. Big noon kickoff coming up a week from Saturday. Yet another 11 a.m. kickoff for uh, OU this season. And I'm sure they're not done with 11 a.m. kickoffs either. We know OU TCU's at 11 a.m. Hell, Bedlam will probably be at 11 a.m. as well. Yeah. 405-651-3439. Hanging at the Newcastle Casino today. We'll get to the text line next right here on The Ref. It is a Reaction Monday on The Rush. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, hanging out at the Newcastle Casino today. I'll tell you who had a bad loss this weekend. Not just USC, but this particular team had a mule shoe type of loss late in the fourth quarter. No one ever feels bad for this program, myself included. <laughs> Parker, Boise State led Colorado State 30-10 to 10 with four minutes and ten seconds left in the fourth quarter. I'll repeat. Boise State led Colorado State 30-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter with four minutes and ten seconds left, and they lost in regulation 31-30. to 30. <laughs> Colorado State hit on a 33-yard touchdown pass as time expired. They kicked the extra point to win 31-30. to 30. Now, the way that USC lost that game last year to Tulane in the Cotton Bowl was, I, it was an epic fail. But blowing that lead, that's a pretty epic fail by Boise State. I, I did enjoy that one. Man, we're dunking on Muleshoe. We're dunking on Boise State. Wait, mm. Must have been a bye Dylan week. Gabriel is up to number two in the Heisman odds. Man, it will have their time later on. It's Don't quite a Monday. In, it's quite Joey a Monday McGuire, across Sooner Joey Nation. Joey McGuire is going to be played at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Oh, we're dunking on everyone, dude. Oh, sheesh. It just gets juicier and juicier. Hey, by the way, let Let's talk Heisman for a second. All right. Because Dylan Gabriel sat at home. Well, not entirely. He went out to Carl Albert on Friday night. But Dylan Gabriel did not play this weekend. And by virtue of sheer chaos and attrition, he is now second to Michael Penix in the Heisman odds by the odds makers in Las Vegas. I, 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 do we... Do we need to start broaching the conversation about Dylan actually having a legit chance not only to go to New York City but to win the Heisman Trophy? Because, like, if that door wasn't already open, Caleb Williams threw it wide open on Saturday. Yeah, I I mean, I was ready to have that conversation a week ago after the Heisman moment that he had. And Kirk Herbstreet said it on College Game Day. He says, you know, no one has the Heisman moment that Dylan Gabriel has, and it's – like, Michael Penix Jr. had a great win against Oregon, but did he have the Heisman moment, per se? Not not yet. I don't think that he had it against Oregon. So, yeah, dude, I've been ready to say that for a week. But, yeah, man, like, if all things are equal, if Penix wins out and if Dylan Gabriel wins out, who's going to win the Heisman? I would probably say Michael Penix in that scenario because he already has better numbers and he probably will have better numbers at the end of the year. But is Dylan Gabriel in a great situation if OU continues to win to make it to New York and have a chance to win it? Heck yes, he is, man. And though he's not, you know, going to play a marquee game until the Big 12 championship game, you can't tell me another win over Texas wouldn't go a long way into his Heisman candidacy because it would, man. He absolutely has a shot at this. (laughs) I just – I did not imagine that it was possible – that Caleb Williams' Heisman stock could come crashing to the ground as quickly as it did Saturday. 
Because, look, I thought Notre Dame was going to win that football game. But I did not think Caleb Williams was going to fling three interceptions in the span of a half. It's one thing to lose. Lamar Jackson, and he's the most recent example, I would say, but others in the past have proven that you don't necessarily need to be on a football team that's in championship contention in order to win the Heisman Trophy. So it is one thing to be on a mediocre football team the way that Caleb Williams is right now. But it is another thing to directly contribute to an egregious, scathing, painful loss in primetime on national television the way that Caleb Williams did. And he very much contributed to it, throwing for less than 200 yards against Notre Dame. Um, Better chance to win a major award or to, to win one of these two awards. Is it Gabriel to win the Heisman or Stutzman to win the Buckus? Right now, man, I'm going. I'm going Gabriel to win the Heisman because, I, and here's why I think this is so much more feasible now than it was even three days ago. I'm not nearly as worried about Michael Penix getting in the way of Dylan Gabriel's Heisman campaign as I was about Caleb Williams because, you know, Caleb he he's got that magic factor right, where even if USC started losing games, you figured, okay, Caleb's going to put up bonkers numbers and have a few ridiculous highlights any way you slice it, and that's going to keep him in the driver's seat. But with as much ground as Caleb lost this past week, you look at the schedule ahead for Washington and how many opportunities there are for Penix to run into some trouble. And you look at Oklahoma's schedule – And the defenses that Oklahoma is poised to face down the stretch, the secondaries that Gabriel's going to have the chance to pick apart, there's a lot more left on the table right now for Gabriel than there is for Penix in my mind. By the way, can someone tell Desmond Howard that that's the correct way to pronounce it? It's Penix. He he not, tried way he update. tried way too hard. <laughs> he was trying to be he, McAfee. He was trying. Oh, to he was pull McAfee. And, and it, like it, it just work. don't try to be McAfee. McAfee has gotten annoying anyway. We don't need Mac, McAfee wannabes cluttering our TV screens <laughs> on Saturdays. Desmond Howard wasn't even trying to hide it. It's like, hey guys, I'm basically going to say this. Get it? Get it? <laughs> Penix is how you say it. Michael Penix. 918. I'm a DG fan, a DG defender, and I'm so thankful he transferred in last year. That said, I have seen a ton of Heisman quarterbacks and have a very hard time seeing DG in that light. Well, he is in that light right now. I mean, he's in the consideration. And, and I see what you mean in terms of overall talent. He's not a Baker. He's not a Kyler. He's not a Lamar Jackson. But, I mean, whatever. Like, he's. He's a really good quarterback, and he's got a chance to, to win that award at the end of the season. So I, I absolutely think he has a chance. And I, I hear what that listener is saying, but let's not act like the Heisman – let's not act like there's a cookie cutter for the Heisman Trophy every single year. Devontae Smith won this award in 2020. So there is precedent for an outside-the-box winner, and I think to a certain extent Dylan Gabriel is a bit outside-the-box in that – He's not the absolute gunslinger that we have seen win the Heisman Trophy so often in years past from Caleb Williams to Bryce Young to Joe Burrow, etc. But objectively, he is playing as well and as consistently as any quarterback in college football right now. And he's also at the helm of a team that is 6-0 and and has a very clear path to 12-0. Yeah. Kate of the 918 says it's literally unreal. 
how we constantly get stuck playing 11 a.m. every friggin' week. My idea Friday of every 11 a.m. games, taking a knee the entire first quarter, wasn't such a bad idea after all, was it? This is a joke. Yeah, I don't love it either, K-Dub, but are any of us surprised that OU's already played this many 11 a.m. games and more to come? You you knew that this was going to happen, especially if they got off to a nice start, their final year in the conference. Parker, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think it'll happen. But I wouldn't just be totally shocked if OU plays 11 a.m. games the rest of the year. And they, they have one against TCU, KU, the conference championship game now. I Seriously, man, Bedlam for big noon. Bedlam might be big noon 11 a.m. kickoff. Just, just expect it at this point. If it is an 11 a.m. kickoff in Provo for that oh, road geez. trip to BYU. No way. I, I will get Brett Yormark's home address, show up on his front lawn, and pick it. At least we'll get to see the beautiful mountains in the background. But, yeah, what, that's a 10 a.m. local start out there. No thanks, man. No thanks at all. Sarks Vodka says, looks like my pick about Bedlam being our toughest game outside of Texas. Is it making me look so dumb after all, LOL? Yeah, we're going to get to that in the 4 o'clock hour. Now that we have a uh, another weekend of college football under our belt, who is the toughest game remaining for OU on the schedule? We asked that on our Twitter page. At KREF Sports. Um, if you haven't interacted with that and you got a thought, go hit us up there because we'll read some of those responses coming up next hour. 731, do y'all think K State found their purple voodoo with Avery Johnson or was it simply a bad matchup for Tech? Avery Johnson played so well, Parker, Whew. that in the death chart released today by Kansas State, it now says Avery Johnson or the previous <laughs> starter that was there. He's a fun player, man. What do you have, five touchdowns Saturday? Five touchdown runs. He's good, man. He's good. They may have found their purple voodoo. I hope so because they go to Austin here in a couple of weeks. 405-651-3439. More of your text, more OU football right here on The Ref. Reaction Monday on The Rush, live from Newcastle Casino. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. Cavens Group bringing you this hour of of The Rush. Water, mold, remediation. They can help you out with that and a whole lot more. Check them out, cavensgroup.com. Let's roll through as many texts as we can before we hit the top of the hour. From the 405, if OU goes to win the Big 12 championship behind a good game from Dylan Gabriel, I don't see why he doesn't have a chance to win the Heisman. Here's, here's kind of where I'm at on the Heisman talk. If OU's 13-0, 100% chance that Dylan Gabriel is in New York, and I think a greater than 50% chance that he wins the Heisman. The only question... For me, Parker, would be, does Michael Penix, Bo Nix, do they acquire enough losses in that tough Pac-12 to kind of cancel each other out? And if they do, like, yeah, Gabriel 100% has a chance to be the front runner if they win the Big 12 championship this year. I think you're exactly right in stating that if Oklahoma wins out, this is probably Gabriel's award to lose because I, I don't see Washington winning out. And I could be wrong. But I feel like one of the things we have come to expect from the Pac-12 is that it cannibalizes itself. And if it cannibalizes itself, at some point, it's going to cannibalize, well, well, or consume, rather. It's going to consume Michael Penix's chances of winning the Heisman Trophy. So, I agree. Penix right now is the frontrunner. No doubt about that. But the path to actually winning the Heisman... As I said earlier, I think it's easier and more feasible for Gabriel 
than it is for Penix. By the way, Tyler, I know we're all in a good mood. Yeah. Uh, but can I? You better give me some bad news or something. <laughs> well, it's not bad news. It's just like every every so often we get a tidbit of news about this particular individual, and we're like, oh man, what could have been. Uh, Malachi Coleman is set to make his first career start this weekend for Nebraska. Uh, yeah, that would have been nice to have at tight end, huh? Well, oh well. I, I guess things are uh, all right on the field without him this year. J.P. Sooner says the TCU game time has to change, right? 11 a.m. on a Friday makes no sense. Don't care if it's a holiday uh, when most people are off. I They flex games in the NFL. That's not really how it works in college football. I think OU and TCU will be playing at 11 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving. I, I don't think that that's going to change. 11 a.m. on Fox is what Boy, I'd love it if that changed. Sheesh. Yeah. I'm, I'm still going to have the tryptophan hangover from Thanksgiving. Yeah. To wake then, up uh, at 7 yeah, a.m. to go cover a football game. Gosh. For, forget, about, uh, forget about the team going to Provo on a short – us coming back for an 11 a.m. kickoff Thanksgiving the day before. There, there's your uh, – there's your real concern there. The fans, us. Uh, 405, so happy for Dylan, especially after so-called fans were screaming to put Jackson Arnold in earlier this season. Yeah, how about that for under the radar? It's been a it's been a while were, since we've seen JFA in a meaningful spot in the game. There were people saying in the middle of the Texas game that Jackson Arnold needed to see the field. Seriously? In the yes. middle of the Texas game? Yes, people were saying that. Thank goodness that all of those folks have nothing to go on about anymore Yikes. because Dylan Gabriel has silenced all of them. Imagine saying that out loud in the Cotton Bowl and then after uh, what happened in the fourth quarter. Man, not great. Uh, hour number two of the rush is coming up next. What is OU's toughest game of the year? I don't know, but we'll try to figure it out. Coming up next. Country's gonna find out. Everything runs through love. Everything runs through love. Hey, we're the team to beat. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're dunking on everyone today. Lincoln Riley. There's Joey McGuire. Jimbo Fisher's got his turn next. Boise State earlier in the show. Dunking on everyone, man. Big Twelve runs through Lubbock. Red Raiders are three and four after a uh, tough loss at home to Kansas State over the weekend, which bringing up the Big 12 makes me think, Parker, OU's got six games remaining in the regular season this year. And after Kansas goes down in Stillwater over the weekend, is OU going to play another ranked opponent in the regular season? Probably not. Probably not. I would say no. The Big 12, like, the Big 12 is not a bad conference, but it's very clear that the top end of the Big 12 conference consists of Oklahoma and Texas, and no one else is relatively close right now. And maybe Kansas State found something with Avery Johnson at quarterback. I mean, he's still a maybe. freshman. Yeah. You know, you, you still got to factor in some freshman mistakes are going to happen at some point. Um, but, look, I'd, I'd be shocked at this point if it's anything other than OU and Texas in the Big 12 championship game. Big 12 doesn't run through Lubbock like Joey McGuire was trying to tell you last year. His team is 3-4 and four at Kansas State. Is there any other realistic scenario for it not to be OU in Texas? Like, is OU in Kansas State the I, – and I don't know how realistic that is, but if not OU Texas, then who? OU K-State? Like, I don't 
I don't really know what that looks like. I'm just point. like, I, it's hard to even entertain the possibility of anybody but Oklahoma and Texas playing in the Big 12 championship right now. And look, maybe things completely change in the second half of the season. This is college football, right? We live in a world where Louisville can take it to Notre Dame at Papa John's Stadium one week and then go up to Pitt the next week to face a 1-4 and four team and get curb stomped. So, this is college football. We might be in for a surprise or two. But OU and Texas appear poised to run through the remainder of their conference slate, and they're on a collision course in Arlington in December once again because I, there's nobody nobody that has the top-end talent or the consistency of those two programs right now. 405, the Big 12 runs through Lubbock like Taco Bell runs through people. <laughs> okay. I, you're not wrong, but all right. 817, he's right. Tech is the team to beat. And you know LaDonna from Lubbock just loves all the Texas Tech shade. Oh, LaDonna, if, if we're making fun of Lubbock, if we're making fun of Texas Tech, nobody loves it more than uh, LaDonna from Lubbock on the have we, uh Have we uh, flipped Aaron from Lubbock yet? I haven't heard from him in a couple of weeks. Oh, starting, no. to, starting to worry what's going on. I thought we had it. Like, it was a silent commit, essentially. And I was just waiting for him to go public with it. But I, I, I haven't heard from him in a couple weeks. Hope he's hope he's doing okay. Um, 405 says Iowa State could give Texas a game. 903 says Iowa State starting to figure it out. So, in our conversation on Friday, Teddy and I were discussing who, I guess, is the third best team in the conference. I said that I thought it might be Iowa State. Um, Iowa State went out to Cincinnati, played really well. I guess I'm going to say today that Iowa State's the third best team in the league. Which is wild because 16 days ago, Oklahoma walloped them at Owen Field. And I don't think anybody walked away from that game going, oh, yeah, Iowa State, that's the third best team in the Big 12. But by virtue of sheer attrition, they might just be the third best team in the Big 12. I don't think it's Kansas, Sands, Jalen Daniels. I, it might be Kansas State with Avery Johnson. That might actually be the third best team in the Big Twelve right now. Could be Texas got to play both those teams at Iowa State or Kansas State. That's why I think um, I mean OU's got a game lead on Texas right now, but Texas got the tougher schedule down the stretch. I definitely, definitely think OU's got the better chance to be in the conference championship game over Texas. But again, I I think that that's the t- that's the matchup there. Um, before we get to some responses on Twitter. You got a strong opinion one way or the other on who uh, OU's toughest remaining game is. UCF at home, at KU, at OSU, West Virginia at home, at BYU, or TCU at home? I, I, There's absolutely no way I've, I would have said it 72 hours ago, but I think it might actually be Oklahoma State on the road. Like, I, I, say, I say Kansas on Friday, and I'm switching Oklahoma State as well. Gosh, it – Ollie Gordon's a really good player for them. Really good player. Yeah, Ollie Gordon is fantastic, man, and he has been that dude ever since he was in high school. I have no idea how he didn't get more recruiting attention than he did because he has always been a bona fide stud. Now, it's really tough to imagine Kansas hanging with Oklahoma, even at home, without Jalen Daniels. I overvalued BYU. They are not as good of a football team as I thought they were. TCU might be the most enigmatic team in the entire Power Five. And so, again, no chance I would have said it three days ago. But the safest choice right now, 
is probably Oklahoma State. Yeah, and, and, and you you got to think that that is – like, now that we know KU's an 11 a.m. game, and even if that was a Saturday night primetime game, I mean, it'd be a nice environment for KU. I just don't think it was going to be a deafening atmosphere there in Lawrence, Kansas. But OSU, like, the point is, OSU's going to be your toughest atmosphere left um, on the schedule. Again, I think Ollie Gordon's fantastic. I, I still don't think OSU's some great team. I think they'd probably go out to Morgantown. And lose this weekend, but there's got to be a toughest game left on the schedule. And even though they probably won't play a top 25 team till the end of the year, I, I think it's probably Oklahoma State because whatever kitchen sink they have to offer, Parker, they're going to throw it out there here in a few weeks in Stillwater. Yeah, and Oklahoma's going to get a lot of kitchen sink action from all of their opponents the rest of the way because, I mean, look, and you, the phrase "it's their Super Bowl." gets so overused these days. Oh, I, but, I heard it all last week from Texas fans. Yeah, but if you're not playing for anything meaningful, if you are, say, TCU, and your hopes of appearing in the Big 12 championship are already pretty much shot, then what's the next best thing you can hope for? The next best thing you can hope for is to take down the Giants. And Oklahoma is the Giant right now in the Big 12. Well, I mean, it's a job saver for some coaches, right? Yeah. It could get you a contract extension. Look no further than Neil Brown, <laughs> who's probably not the – and did OU was a 6-7 and seven team last year. And, and what was their record? 5-5 five and five when they played at West Virginia last year? OU was 5-5 five and five going to Morgantown, and that still saved Neil Brown's job. That's how much the OU win means to other programs. Yeah, man, it's – I'm trying to think – who who would be in that same category this year? Neil Brown again? Uh, he he started off well enough that he probably has bought himself some additional security for now. Sonny Dykes isn't in danger of losing his job. Mike Gundy isn't in danger of losing his job, nor is Lance Leipold. Uh, Kalani Sataki not in any imminent danger of losing his job. I, I don't know, man. So maybe maybe it isn't a job saver for any particular coach down the stretch here that's going to get the opportunity to match up with Oklahoma. But again, if you're not playing for anything meaningful in conference, you'd like to be able to say you derailed an undefeated team that seems destined for a berth in the college football playoff. Cherokee Sooner says the Cowboys got their kitchen sink from Harbor Freight. We got ours from Lowe's. I ain't worried about Bedlam. <laughs> 903 says, I think everyone is going to throw the kitchen sink at us, fair point. Sean says, why is the expectation Mike Gundy will be engaged this year in kitchen sink when he never has and he's in zero jeopardy of job loss? I mean, it's a fair point. He's coached very small in this game um, over the past, what, I mean, really since he's been at Oklahoma State, I guess, but over, especially over the past eight years, you would think that OSU would throw it all out, final bedlam for a while, this could totally change the narrative of their season, their program. But, Sean, I mean, you're not necessarily wrong there that, you know, Gundy hasn't thrown out the kitchen sink before and hasn't coached super aggressive. So, yeah, it's, that's that's fair. 918, can we get a – this is Kyler and Jinx. Can we get a class calculator update on where we might land? Yes, uh, I did this earlier today. So, news over the weekend – OU got a, uh, several new predictions in for four-star offensive tackle Grant Bricks out of the state of Iowa, six foot six, two hundred eighty pounds, the number ninety-nine overall player according to Rivals. On twenty-four-seven, I put in Grant Bricks, Eddie Pierre-Louis, and Michael Boganowski, and that jumped OU from number seven to number five. 
And as Parker, we were talking about earlier, that would maybe jump you to potentially even number four on rivals. But it gets you in the top five in at least a couple of services. Yeah, man. And I I think going forward, the expectation post-2024, if you can lock down a top five class this year, and you got 11-1, and 12-0, whatever the record ends up being in the regular season, the expectation going forward for Brent Venables and this staff is that they will land a top five class every year because – they were right. I mean, Peyton Bowen was basically what pushed them into the top five last year. They just as easily could not have had a top five class. It's kind of the same deal this year. They're right there on the precipice. But, again, you must consider that they are recruiting this year with the backdrop of a 6-7 and seven campaign. And the vast majority of this class committed long before the Sooners ever started off the 2023 season as hot as they did. So... You give this team results to recruit around? You give this staff results to recruit around? Man, this might just be the tip of the iceberg. Uh, for the 918, pick and state is definitely our most difficult game. Their hate energy state. will be very high, being this will be the last regular season game with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that'll be the case. I'm sure they'll act like a I'm heathens just, up there for that man, one. Man, I'm just looking forward to the Mike Gundy bulletin board material leading into that game. Because you know he's going to get well, asked. Well, it's their fault. They, they want to take their ball and go to the SC. Yeah, he'll, 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 he'll take his la- – I don't know if it's his last shot, but he will take another opportunity to blame this on OSU. Just like the, their whole side has just been blaming OU this entire time for not playing anymore. He'll, he'll absolutely take that chance. Hmm. I – I'm more curious to hear what he says after the game because he can say whatever he wants after the game with pretty much no repercussions. So, like, Mike Gundy, if he isn't already must-see TV every week in his press conferences, all the more so the weekend of Bedlam. How about this? Um, Someone has officially predicted that OU is going to lose that game. Really? Who is that? Who, Who predicted that? Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports. He has like 10 bold predictions for the second half of the 2023 football season. He has like Colorado finds a route to bowl eligibility. Um, The initial playoff rankings features two shockers. I think he's meaning that Georgia and Michigan will not be ranked in the top two spots. But he says three unbeatens will fall on November 4th. He says that Army will upset Air Force. He says that James Madison will fall to Georgia State and Oklahoma State upsets Oklahoma in the final year of Bedlam and Stillwater. Did he really throw James Madison in there? (laughs) Yeah, I guess James Madison is unbeaten. I I had no idea. Yeah, I I never unbeaten. They're not even ranked. They're not even ranked, though. They're the only unbeaten team in the FBS that isn't ranked. So that's kind of a cop-out for a bold prediction. Oh, yeah, James Madison, they'll end up losing. But... No, it is interesting, and, you know, you're going to get hot takes like that, and you're going to get people that are looking for upset potential in some of these matchups for the unbeaten teams. And we have a lot of unbeaten teams right now in college football, more than we typically have at this point in the season. I do expect that they're going to start dropping like flies. And so for Oklahoma, the question is, can you evade the chaos? Because there will be teams – they get and, and there are a lot of unbeaten teams across the nation right that right now that have marquee matchups down the stretch with elite opponents, top 10, top 15 opponents. 
But there will also be more than a few upsets throughout the second half of the season. If you're Oklahoma, all you're trying to do is make sure you don't get victimized by one of those upsets. Yeah, I'm just someone's boldly predicting that OU's going to go up to Stillwater and lose that game. OU fans, I, you're great at keeping receipts. Go, go ahead and keep that one right there. I just don't think it's some great matchup for Oklahoma State. Alan Bowman will have to make some big plays with his arm. and Well, OU's pretty good at getting takeaways on the defensive side and very good at slowing down the run game. Just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to join Brad Crawford in that take that Oklahoma State is, uh, is going to win that game. 405-651-3439 is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. At the Newcastle Casino today, where new members earn up to $250 in rewards play. More OU football coming up next right here on The Ref. It is The Rush on The Ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune from the Newcastle Casino, where happy hour is underway. Every Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. is happy hour at the Newcastle Casino. 450 Budweiser, Bud Light, Michelob Ultra Cans. 550 well drinks here at the Newcastle Casino. Okay, it's time for our Under the Radar segment brought to you by Boyd Street Ventures, where myself and Plank will be Saturday before the game. Plank will be at Boyd Street Ventures from 7 to 8. I'll be there from 8 to 10 during our pregame show. And I want to tell you that Boyd Street Ventures is a venture capital firm that provides funding and guidance for promising Under the Radar Sooner Startups. Learn how you can help support OU Innovation at BoydStreetVentures.com. Text line, fill it up. Uh, back half of the season, final six games, and we can count the conference championship and the uh, bowl game slash playoff game as well. Who do you think is going to be a real under-the-radar contributor throughout the remainder of the season? And what I mean by that is maybe someone who hasn't been, you know, Jaleel Farouk, Danny Stutzman, Dylan Gabriel, maybe someone who's been a little bit under the radar through the first six games, but you think the back half of the season – they're going to have a big-time impact on this team. Let us know, 405-651-3439. While the texts are rolling in, Parker, and while you think of uh, your submission to that, I'll give you kind of something that's been under the radar throughout the first six games for this team. Okay. And I think it's something that we've noticed but maybe not talked a lot about. I feel like the in-game management has been a lot better from this year to last year. And there's a couple, you know, you can point to a couple of examples, I suppose, about, you know, how they didn't burn timeouts or they still had timeouts to use. Here's how they handled a, you know, a drive with a minute and a half left. It just feels overall the in-game control from the coaching staff and really Brent, it's been a lot better than, than it was last year. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. It has been markedly better. And admittedly Oklahoma hasn't had to play a ton of close football games they played one and it was Texas but again everything about the way the Sooners managed the final minutes defensively offensively from a coaching perspective all all of the way that the final five six minutes of that game unfolded it was textbook and it obviously led to what was a very climactic conclusion to the football game with Dylan Gabriel's winning touchdown pass to Nick Anderson so I I don't want to draw a sweeping conclusion because I really don't think we've seen enough to make that judgment yet from but what we have seen yes I agree it does seem like that has become much less of a liability for Oklahoma than it was last season uh, a lot of submissions with a lot of different answers let's get to them from the 918 we've got Dalen Smothers now Ooh. that brings up an entirely different conversation is will Dalen Smothers be allowed 
to have an impact <laughs> down the remainder? I mean, it's a it's a good question. Yeah, I I'm not counting on it. I just think if you if you want a guy with Dalen Smothers' skill set operating out of the backfield, you turn to Gavin Sawchuk before you turn to Dalen Smothers. Now, again, my big concern in the long run for Oklahoma is that backfield. I don't think you can give 80% of the carries to Tawi Walker and be able to establish a consistent and explosive enough running game to be able to contend for championships. So you're going to need to be able to let Javante Barnes loose or let Gavin Sawchuk loose at a certain point in time. I just, I think Dalen Smothers redshirts. I think both he and Caleb Hicks end up riding pine this year. I think that's by design and, I think everybody is better off for it. Not to say that he couldn't contribute in 2023, but again, with where he's at right now, if you want a guy with that skill set on the football field, you're turning to Gavin Sawchuk. I like this one from the 405. Caden Green for Under the Radar, and someone else texted in from the 785. Caden Green will be a fan favorite by the end of the year. I really like Caden Green for a submission of someone who's been under the radar up to this point but going to have a massive end of the season. And my, I think there's a chance, Parker, that if this offensive line continues to get better and better throughout the year and we look up at the end of the season and say, hey, they're not perfect, but they're a pretty good unit, I think there's a chance we can look back and say, you know what, it feels like, thing, it feels like things change for the better once they put Caden Green in the starting lineup. So I, I, I like that submission. Yeah, the kid's a mauler, and I expect him to start going forward, whether that is at left guard or whether that is at right guard. And he is one of those guys that's been working in at right guard, and they've been repping him a bit at practice at right guard while McCade Mattire uh, recuperates and recovers from that injury that he suffered in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. But any way you slice it, with what Caden Green did – against the University of Texas last Saturday, and we talked about it. It was one of the most obvious takeaways from that entire football game. Okay, that's a guy that needs to play a lot more. Uh, it's 2-4-0 from the state of Maryland. Under the radar, Gavin Freeman. Dude going to make electricity happen at some point this season. Well, he's going to have the opportunity in the punt return game, but it still comes down to a numbers game at wide receiver, right? And I know Andrew Anthony is out for the remainder of the year, but – I don't think they're going to play Drake Stoops any less. Um, Gavin Freeman will have opportunities, but I just think there's going to be other wide receivers in front of him that have probably more opportunities, especially if Brennan Thompson, if he if he is somewhat of a factor. Yeah, here I think I think Brennan Thompson is one of the most logical candidates to be a breakout performer throughout the second half of the season. The guy I would go with, though, Tyler, and several on the text line concur with this assessment. I think. The guy that I'm watching the closest as far as his potential to have a breakout performance for this team in the six games ahead before the Sooners presumably head to Arlington is R. Mason Thomas. We're getting that more than any other other player. And he has only appeared in two games to this point and hasn't played a ton of snaps in either of them. But I, I, I don't want folks to forget what OU has at their disposal in R. Mason Thomas. When he is healthy, he is arguably the best pass rusher on that roster. I have that on good authority from folks that have a lot closer of an eye on the program day-to-day than I do. And so if he works his way, and I think he will, assuming he is 100% healthy after the bye, which I expect, 
I, I believe he will work his way into a heavy dose of rotational action for Oklahoma. And he is the type of player that if you give him 30, 35 snaps a game, I'd be willing to bet he gets you a sack just about every week at the well, at minimum. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to necessarily disagree with any of that, but how about, like, you, you felt great about what the defense has done up to this point, but a lot, like, a, a big part of that has been without Justin Harrington, your starter at one of your, your most important positions on the field, right? Or Mason Thomas hasn't had a big impact, but maybe he is your best pass rusher. Like, they've accomplished a lot defensively without a lot of their key pieces, and the defense has already been good up to this point. What could this defense be if R. Mason Thomas is back in the lineup and producing at a high level? It's a pretty, pretty fun thing to, to, to think about, man. That's for sure. And when you can roll out a third down package that has R. Mason Thomas on one side and P.J. Adibawara on the other side, oh, man. Oh, man. You know that makes everybody's job easier oh, yeah. because if you're just talking speed rushers, guys that can get to the quarterback and get to him fast, there's nobody on OU's roster that's going to be able to do that better than P.J. Adibawara and R. Mason Thomas. So you get those guys regularly inserted into the game in third-down situations, give the opposing quarterback even less time to get the ball out, even less time to read the field process and make a decision as to where he's going to throw – then it's going to help your defense get off the field with regularity, Tyler. And that is one thing that Oklahoma has already been very good about here in 2023 that they were terrible about in 2022, excuse me, and that is getting off the field on third down. Here's uh, here's an aggressive one from the 918, speaking of P.J. It's P.J., but not on defense. I'm calling it now. He ends up with five field goal blocks in the next six games. He's going to block a kick. <laughs> like He will He's block a close, kick at some man. point. Yeah, he's gotten really close. Here's a here's an interesting submission, and I and I think an interesting um, to, just to kind of see how he builds off of the best game of his career. It just says hopefully the switch has flipped for Ethan Downs, and he builds off the Texas game. Like we saw a lot from Ethan Downs against Texas, and I'm very I'm very interested in what he does after that the next two to three games because you know he's operating with a level of confidence. It's probably as high as he's had his entire career. Do I expect Ethan Downs to have two sacks every game moving forward? Maybe not, no. But how he builds off that Texas game, that is a good text. I'll, I'll be interested to see that too, especially with you know guys like R. Mason Thomas and you know some, some others coming back. From the 918, Jada Coleman will walk on to take over punting duties. There's nothing she that. cannot do. I don't worry about a snap over her head, right? I, I've seen her uh, rob several home runs over the center field wall. She'll just go up and, and grab it with one hand and still get a uh, 55-yard punt away. Joe in Tulsa says Sawchuck is about to go off in the second half of the season like Rodney Anderson did in 2017. And, man, I, I truly do that. think I truly do think something like that is what would take Oklahoma from Big 12 championship frontrunner to potentially national title frontrunner now that Georgia is going to be without Brock Bowers for the remainder of the season. If Oklahoma – can run the football as effectively as they have thrown the football, and that defense continues to improve week after week, this is one of the best football teams in the country, maybe the best football team in the country, come game 12 of the season, Tyler. Well, I mean, this is an under-the-radar segment, and you mentioned Brock Bowers. There's nothing about that that is under the radar. I mean, that is, that is a massive, massive deal 
for the overall landscape in college football this year? Who's going to win the national championship? Because, you know, quarterback at Georgia this year has just been – he's just been okay, man. He's not as good as Stetson Bennett, and that's not a shocker, but he, he's just been okay. And now without their main weapon offensively, where does Georgia go from here? Like that is I, – I, Parker, I can't pick Georgia to win the national championship if Brock Bowers is out for the remainder of the year. I think I just think he means too much to their football team. I, I just I I think it 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 was already a year where it's wide open, and I think that opens it up even more if well, he's out for the and, entire season. And again, you think back to last season, who was the guy that rescued Georgia on so many occasions when they'd get into tight football games with teams that they probably shouldn't have allowed to hang around? It was Brock Bowers, and so yes. They were the best team in college football, and they looked like the best team in college football for the most part, start to finish. But a lot of that was on Brock Bauer's shoulders. So yeah. you remove him from the equation, is Georgia the same team? Absolutely not, man. Yeah. Now, I think the question remains, are they good enough to keep this thing intact, keep the wheels on the wagon until Bowers gets back? If that's the case, then I would still favor them to win the national championship, but that task just got a whole lot harder. Yeah. Uh, K.A. and B.A. says L.V. Bunkley Shelton. Let me get to a few more before we hit a break here. A lot of Brennan Thompson, a lot of R. Mason Thomas. Nick Anderson steps up and becomes the man with a loss to Anthony. Does, does Nick Anderson count as under the radar? Like, going into the weekend, he was leading the uh, Big 12 in touchdown receptions, I believe. So I, I think we, we we all expect Nick Anderson to be the guy here moving forward. Yeah, I, one of those. I, I believe Nick Anderson is on the radar. Yeah. I would not categorize him as under it any longer. 918 Stogner steps up, 405. If you like PJ and McCullough, will really come on. And a lot more R. Mason Thomas submissions. Uh, Tawi Walker as well. Barnes, Kip Lewis. Thank you, guys. Thank you, as always, for the interaction on the text line. And, uh, yeah, we will be at Boyd Street Ventures on Saturday for the pregame show. Well, at least half of the pregame show will be at Boyd Street Ventures. Chris Plank will be there from 7 to 8. I'll be there from 8 to 10. We'll be at Balfour of Norman on Campus Corner as well. But that's Boy Street Ventures under the radar segment. Boy Street Ventures is a venture capital firm that provides funding and guidance for promising under-the-radar shooter startups. Learn how you can help support OU innovation at boystreetventures.com. You guessed it. More OU football next right here on The Ref. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, hanging out at the Newcastle Casino today. Knippel Meyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. Oki Tom says Georgia is still the favorite to win the national championship at plus 255, with Michigan second at plus 285. Florida State is at, is at plus 870. Ohio State at plus 880. Washington at plus 900. Then OU plus 1425. So... OU still a uh, pretty – I mean, you can still get some very good odds on OU mm. to win the national championship if uh, you're in that market. How bold uh, you feeling? I went on FanDuel today, and I found OU at the seventh highest odds to, to win the title behind Michigan, Georgia, Florida State, Ohio State, Washington, and even Penn State had slightly better odds than uh, OU. OU had better odds than Bama, Texas, Oregon, North Carolina, and USC is all the way at plus 8,000. Would you would you take a flyer on Oklahoma, or you, you need to see more first before you're uh, willing to throw down some cash? I'd on be OU honest, like at, at this point, I I wouldn't bet I wouldn't bet the mortgage on it. But shoot, if I had 
$50 lying around, I might take a flyer on Oklahoma to win the national title, especially with Brock Bauer's injury. They could just get that run game going. I mean, it doesn't have to be elite. They can just get the run game going where we say, hey, it's pretty good. It's really good. Then, uh, yeah, you'd have a you have a chance, that's for sure, with the uh, with, with what's going on uh, across the rest of the country right now. That's that's for sure. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of questions about who the third best team is in the Big Twelve. I would say Iowa State right now. We'll see what happens with Kansas State moving forward. Sooner Boone says, "What is the midseason All Big Twelve team?" I don't know, Sooner Boone, but there's a lot more OU. Um, there's a lot more OU players on the midseason All Big Twelve team than there were on the preseason All Big Twelve team. Yeah, let's just go down the list. Who's definitely first team All Big Twelve midseason? For OU. DG. DG and Danny Stutzman, easy yep. choices. Gentry Williams. Yes. Nick Anderson. Yes. Um, you want to say Bowman? I, I, I would probably say Billy Bowman. Heck, I'd say Woody Washington, too, man. Quietly. I think Woody's had an excellent year. Jeez, what if he had the two starting corners on the All-Big 12 team at the end of the year? Gosh, how... Man. How long has it been since that happened? Has that ever I, happened? I don't. I don't know if it if it has ever happened. Um, what you would have had? I'm trying to think. Wolfolk was playing corner in 02, and what was D Straight playing that other corner spot? I mean, you've you've had you've had some good corner duos before, but this is the best one you've had in a while. Oki Tom says, "I bet OU to win the title before the season started at 50 to one. Wish I had bet more." Yeah, I mean it's there's some real value in it still right now, but there was definitely value in it at fifty to one to, to start the year after a six and zero start. Seven three zero or seven three one, excuse me, says watch Mizzou be the one that beats Georgia. Oh gosh, I hope not. Why won't they? Why won't they start losing? What's going on with Missouri? I don't know, man. God, it's annoying. I thought it was going to start unraveling for them in Lexington this past weekend, but no, they just they had a fake they punt. Just keep winning. They had a fake punt that worked out for them for a touchdown. Unfortunately. A listener, a listener in the 806 says, I would argue both offensive tackles have been all Big 12, speaking of Tyler Guyton and Walter Rouse. I'll hear that. I mean, Well, they're, they're second in the conference in sacks allowed right now, so as, as much as we've talked about the run game, the pass protection's been really good up to this point. <laughs> this is a great text. Come on, guys, let's be real. We might have five All-Americans, but none of them will get Big 12 honors. Yeah, or they're uh, co, co-players. Like The Big 12 likes to do co Offensive lineman of the year or co-offensive players of the year. Brent Venables will still be co-coach of the year with someone else in the league. That, that'll that uh, that'll happen. Neil Brown. It's Brent yeah. Venables and Neil Brown. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think that you're joking, but that wouldn't shock me if that's the case. I'll tell you who's not going to be coach of the year, uh, Jimbo Fisher. Buddy, um, they've about had it down there with Jimbo Fisher. Really? Like, is, is the noise getting louder? It's getting louder and louder by the week, and it was getting louder after that a and or after that Bama loss for some of the decisions that he made on like a fourth and one. He was like, "Well, if it was fourth and inches, we would have gone for it there, but it's fourth and one, so we decided to punt it away there." So p- people are already getting annoyed after the Bama game, but they looked bad offensively against Tennessee, dude. Ooh. I am going to make a prediction right now. If Texas A&M loses this weekend to South Carolina, they do not make a bowl game. Oh! By the way, is there a singular player in all that. of college football right now 
that is getting screwed over by his defense more than Spencer Rattler. I would say his situation is even worse than Caleb Williams. No one is paying attention to it, but Spencer Rattler is balling the heck out for South Carolina, and their defense cannot stop a nosebleed. They're two and four, man. They are two and four. Is he still running for his life every single game like he did against North Carolina, or has his O-line gotten better? The O-line is a little bit better. It's still not great. But he, gosh, man, I, if, if, if South Carolina's five and one right now, Spencer Rattler's in the Heisman conversation. Let's see. He's 142 and 193, 1,724 yards, 11 touchdowns, four interceptions. His, uh, his number's up to this point. Yeah, and again, like if, and if, if he's got a better supporting cast around him and they're winning more games, that's a guy that is playing good enough football right now that he would probably he, he's not on the same he's not in the same conversation as Penix or Gabriel or even Caleb Williams right now, but that's a guy that's probably up there with Bo Nix and Blake Corum and the like in the second third tier of the Heisman race. As it is though, no one's paying attention to what he's doing because South Carolina is an awful football team. Nine one eight with that buyout, I'd be trying to get I'd be trying my hardest to get fired anyway. He's talking about Jimbo. I yeah, I wouldn't fault. It, it does look like at times that Jimbo is trying to get fired and get that sixty eight seventy million or, or, or whatever it is on his buyout. Yeah, but, look, uh, ooh, they're not good. They're not beating Ole Miss. They're not beating LSU. They'll probably beat Mississippi State, and Lord knows they'll beat Abilene Christian. So, I. They're probably six and six. But the one thing that could upend it all is I think if next weekend they host South Carolina and Spencer Rattler lights it up like he did a year ago against Tennessee and has one of those transcendent games where he vaults the Gamecocks to victory single-handedly, I think that has the potential to wreck the momentum and wreck the overall uh, confidence level for A&M such that not only does Mississippi – or Ole Miss, excuse me, become losable, but Mississippi State becomes losable, and then you got to close the season with LSU. That might be a five and seven team. Right now, funny. they're they're no better than seven and five at season's end. It's just funny that he's supposed to be this quarterback whisperer, this offensive mind. Which, good, I mean, has there been a more overrated offensive mind in the sport in the past ten years, twenty years than Jimbo Fisher? Maybe not, but their defense is actually pretty good. A M's defense is not bad. Their offense is not good and I know that uh Connor Wegman got hurt a few weeks ago but AM's offense hasn't been good really since Jimbo has been there to be quite honest and Max Johnson I don't know how much of you uh, how much of that game you watched dude he was getting folded over like every other snap by that Tennessee defensive line he got hammered on Saturday Woo! I did not envy his situation it felt like Tennessee was in his face every single time he dropped back to pass but Tennessee hit on a big special teams play. I don't think Tennessee is just some great team this year. They're not as good as they were a year ago, but they were good enough to win on Saturday, and they were good enough behind that putrid A&M offense. By the way, uh, you know what? The ball. You know what's awesome? I don't know how it took this long, but CFB Twitter has finally gotten a hold of the Aggie Yell Leaders videos, and yeah. the rest of college football is having a field day making fun of the cult that is Texas A&M University. So they're making fun of their Friday night yell practice on the road this week. And then did you see the video where they're doing their little whoop 
chants oh my during the game, and Taylor Swift is playing in the background. So I, it looks like they're dancing to Taylor Swift. I'm just saying, that's how, great. How, how do you how do you take yourself seriously? How do you, uh, as a yell leader, take yourself seriously? But that is the nature of a cult. You are indoctrinated to do things that no sensible human would do. Yeah, it's it's just so weird. They're just. They're, they're just so weird, man. And you said it right. They're a cult. This is exactly what they are. 405-651-3439. Fill up the text line. We've been making fun of everyone today. A&M, Tech, Boise State, Mule Shoe. We'll do that again at 5 o'clock. Um, yikes. Let's, uh, let's continue to make fun of everyone else right here on the text line. More to come next. It's the ref. Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you the sour of the rush. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, OU and UCF this Saturday, 11 a.m. on ABC. UCF announces today, really Gus Malzahn announced today, that John Rice Plumlee, UCF starting quarterback, will be back uh, this week for UCF. And a big point of conversation, I'm sure, around this game will be, because it was last week, well, how does OU respond after that big emotional win over Texas. Parker, are you one that is concerned, or are you interested in the storyline? Let's see how OU responds after that big emotional win against their biggest rival. I mean, I think if you're trying to come up with a storyline for this weekend, that's the obvious one, right? Well, does Oklahoma have a letdown after the biggest win for that program in years? And To a certain extent, it's a fair question. It's not a legitimate concern to me. And it was the very first thing that I asked several OU players about in last Monday's media availability sessions is, okay, how do you avoid the letdown? And I think Danny Stutzman summed up what many, the sentiment that many of them expressed, which is, as long as Brent Venables is in charge, we're not going to have any issues with that. And I also don't think USC, or I'm sorry, UCF is a team that is going to come to Norman and be able to give Oklahoma enough of a fight on both sides of the football where a letdown or a sleepwalk starts to come into play. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely said all the right things last week, which is not all that shocking. And wasn't Peyton Bowen on the field right after the OU? Like, seconds after they won the game, wasn't he running around saying, yeah, job's not finished, we haven't done anything yet. So I, I, I think that they have their head in the right place, but it'll be a nice test for the OU defense. It will. And I don't think that this Saturday's game is, well, this determines if the OU defense is good or not. No, I think the OU defense is good. I think they've proven that. But UCF can run the ball. They've shown that up to, up to this point. This is not the best offense that you will have faced, but by the numbers, it's a very nice offense, Parker, that's capable of doing some nice things. Their defense, not so much. But UCF's got a nice offense, especially with John Rice Plumley close to 100% at QB. Jay and Tulsa hit the text line to say, did you guys see Cowherd do a 180 heel turn on Mule Shoe? Yes. Yes. Is that, is, does that come into play later in the show? Um, It doesn't. We can make it to Ooh. where it comes into play later in the show. Honestly, we can make that happen. But uh, he has a where Colin was wrong segment every Monday. And he admits that he was wrong about OU and USC. He says that OU has the culture that's being built the right way, that the defense is really good, and USC is just a – essentially just he, – he, he was very down about the direction of the USC football program, which I think most people are today. So 
that's how you know that you've really won. That's like the victory cigar. If Colin Cowherd is saying <laughs> that, uh, oh, boy, OU looks like they're headed in a much different direction, then that's that's kind of like the last straw, That's right? Muleshoe's chief PR shill right there. If he's conceding that, yeah, Oklahoma's the program that's in a better spot right now. That speaks volumes. Gunny says, you probably don't want to read this on air, fellas. UCF can't beat up OU. Hell, UCF couldn't. Okay, you're right. I didn't pre-read that from Gunny. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, okay. I've got your prediction in, Gunny. Glad glad to know that I've got it. We got a 63-13 to earlier in the show today, so we've got some confident OU fans heading into UCF as OU is an 18.5-point favorite over UCF heading into this weekend. Final hour of The Rush coming up next right here on The Ref. It's a good football team we played, and give them credit. They played better than us tonight. But there's a lot of errors that we made that were totally on us and uh, a lot of opportunities that were there that I know we can make. And I think we'll make a couple more of those and get the momentum back that, that we're capable of as a program and as a team. One big win against a really good football team here next week, and this whole thing feels different. Sometimes when you haven't played your best, you get that feeling of, well, you're a long, long, long ways away, and the reality is we're not that far away. You guys heard that one before? I sure have. We're close. We're not that far away. It's not as bad as what it looks. So, yeah, I've uh, I've heard that before, too. Lincoln Riley said it again Saturday night after the beatdown in South Bend, 48-20 loss to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And now OU fans were just having fun. We were just having fun on social media over the weekend. Matt Leiner chose to uh, call us all salty today. Oklahoma fans are so salty, it's kind of embarrassing. Like, seriously, LOL. And OU fans have been uh, destroying him on the uh, in the mentions, have they not? Dang. Yeah, it was a very good weekend to be an Oklahoma Sooner fan, Tyler. Like, all in all, if there isn't Sooner football to watch, it's hard to imagine a better weekend to sit at home and wear crimson and cream than the weekend that Sooner Nation just got treated to. Well, let's 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 discuss that. What what are the great things that happened over the weekend? Okay, we all got to hang out Saturday night and watch Notre Dame, who we don't like as a fan base, but you cheered for them for one night, right? I mean, come on, it's it's good versus evil, essentially. You're you're rooting against <laughs> evil there. Um, evil lost 48-20 to Notre Dame. So you called yourself a Notre Dame fan for one day. I did, and now I can go back to hating Notre Dame. But that was a good thing. I think A&M losing was a very good thing as well, at least for me personally. And then all these Grant Bricks predictions has to fall somewhere in the top three, right? I well, mean, and, and not to news. mention, not to mention the fact that Caleb Williams was so ineffective that the Heisman odds drastically shifted in the Vegas books at halftime of the yeah. USC Notre Dame game. Like yep. the odds makers did not even need to see the second half to figure, okay, we need to move Dylan Gabriel up and we need to move Caleb Williams down. And Bo Nix lost too, which helped out Dylan yeah. Gabriel. Yeah. Big so time. Dylan Gabriel, um, I don't know what he did with this weekend other than go out to the Carl Albert McGinnis game on Friday to support um his uh, OU's quarterback commit in 2025, and you know some other OU commits out there as well. I don't know what he did the rest of the weekend, but it was a it was a good weekend for him. So you're right, man. I 
there, there weren't really any negatives at all that happened for OU over the weekend. It was all it was all positives from the Heisman front, from the recruiting front, to the who you hate fronts. Bye week was awesome, man. I, I'm ready to get back to the games, but the the bye week was good. Two one four says need to read Leinert's tweet in a Valley Girl voice. Yes, Parker I actually, actually did, I that, did earlier. that earlier. <laughs> it's <was> great. <laughs> Wait, show me the tweet again. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. O- Where's the tweet? O- uh, Oklahoma fans are so salty. It's kind of embarrassing. Like seriously, LOL. <sighs> yeah, hang on. I'm, I'm going to get the actual tweet in front of me. I'm on Twitter as we speak. Matt Leinart, where are you? Ah, yes, at Matt Leinart QB. Here we go. Here we go. Well, he hasn't deleted it yet. That's a step up. Shocker. Oklahoma fans are so salty, it's kind of embarrassing. Like, seriously, LOL. And I'm guessing that's what he said out loud to himself, exactly like that when he typed it out. Matt Leinart, you're feeling the wrath of the OU fan base. And if you want to call it salty, that's fine. But your head coach is a D-bag. Uh, he's made uh, several lies about us breaking into his home multiple times. He he deserve all the all, all the crap that he's taking. And Lincoln is getting a lot of crap locally and a lot of crap nationally right now. And the question is, how many losses are incoming? Because it feels like all of this is starting to catch up with him. Parker, I think that USC finishes the regular season at eight and four. That's my official prediction. They lose three more games. I'm with you. Eight and four is where I have this team, or what I have this team pegged for, as well. Uh, Danny Boomer on the text line presents an interesting question that I think we we can expand this conversation. Is it officially time to chase a Heisman? Now, at face value, super simple question, but I think what Danny Boomer is getting at, at least how I interpret that, Tyler, is. If you get a couple blowout wins here in the second half of the season, are you leaving Dylan Gabriel in the game to stat pad maybe a little bit longer than you otherwise would? Why not? I, I think if you have the opportunity, you you take advantage of that. Just for what it would mean for your program, what it would mean for Dylan individually. And, and I know the pushback to that would be, well, we've got the SEC coming up and you want to get Jackson Arnold as many reps as possible. And I agree with that. You want Jackson Arnold as ready as he can possibly be going into the SEC. But my question, Parker, is, is him missing out on one or two series in a blowout against UCF really going to mean a whole lot for him in the grand scheme of things of being SEC ready? I I don't think so. I say take advantage of the opportunity if you have it. I, I say yes, try and pad Dylan Gabriel's stats. And I agree. I think there's a balance to be struck there because you don't want to get Dylan Gabriel hurt. And I know there are going to be people on the text line going, I don't care if he gets hurt. We got Jackson Arnold. It's the wrong mentality to have. Okay? Uh, Dylan Gabriel is the straw that stirs the drink for your offense right now, and you do not want to disrupt the rhythm that your offense is in. Yeah, Jackson Arnold is a really good football player, but with the way Dylan Gabriel has this offense clicking – you don't want to remove him from the picture if you can at all avoid it. So, yes, I I think I would like to see Dylan Gabriel left in blowouts down the stretch a little bit longer than he maybe otherwise would be for the sake of racking up some additional yards, a few more touchdown passes. I think that's all fine and well, but I don't want him, and I don't think he will be, left in the game to cut loose on the ground the way that he did against Texas last week. Because then at that point, 
you run the risk of getting the guy injured. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to see that every game here moving forward. I, I think that they're going to unleash Dylan Gabriel when they feel like they need to, like when they play it again against Texas is what I'm guessing is going to happen. We'll see him unleashed in the run game. But, you know, if you're playing someone and you're a – I mean, you're what, a 19-point favorite this weekend? I think Gabriel will be active in the run game, but will he run it as many times like he did against Texas? I just – I don't know, man. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Jamie and Whitehouse, I do agree. I would rather have a championship than another Heisman right now. But why Heisman, not both? Why not both? Yeah, yeah Heisman does up. mean a lot for the program. A national championship means more. But some people have been pointing out on the text line today, and this is it, it, this is a funny thought. With the way that Dylan Gabriel has been treated for the majority of his uh, career, how funny would it be if he's got a statue next to Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jason White oh, as man. a Heisman winner? Oh, you know? man. As, as perhaps the original Dylan Gabriel apologist, I would love nothing more than to watch that come to fruition. Yeah. Because... He deserves it. Uh, 5-8-0, let's chase a national title. I love having a Heisman winner, but this fan base and me particularly are very thirsty for number eight, unfortunately. We got Heisman fatigue around here, just trying to win a natty. I think is what's going on. Softball Steve says OU 48, UCF 17, which uh, which would be a cover. Um, real quick, what, one more thing on Muleshoe, and we'll move on to, uh, to, to OU. Question for you in the text line. A year from now, 365 days from now, where is uh, who is Lincoln Riley coaching for? You're going to make me pick one team? Well, how about this? In a year's time, is he coaching college football or in the NFL? How about that? That's a little bit easier. I believe he's coaching in the NFL. I think so, too. I think that uh, I think he realizes <laughs> – they're going to take a massive step back next year without Caleb Williams. And, again, I, you and I think they're going to be an eight-win team. Gosh. He'll have an opportunity in the NFL, and I, I think, yeah, I think he'll take it, man. Gosh, I, I want but to I see it happen. To true. I, I, don't, I want him to stay in college football for another 20 years because, dude, it is so much more fun to root and watch him lose on Saturdays. I freaking love it. I love it so much. Chapstick says no Heisman winner has won a championship in the same year. Call me superstitious. Well, that's not true. Well, Joe for Bur- OU. For OU. Oh, for OU. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for OU. Okay, that makes more sense. It's just crazy, um, right? You've got all those Heisman winners, seven titles, and it's never happened in the same year. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, this this might be the year. How, how, how immaculate would it be if number eight was responsible for national championship number eight and Heisman number eight? Softball Steve says Jackson State for Muleshoe. Okie Tom says USC. 405 says Muleshoe High School. Uh, Les says he is taking the year off. Um, <laughs> I like Cliff Kingsbury flying yeah, he, out to Vietnam or wherever. No, he was in, um, oh my gosh, where was he? Thailand. He was in Thailand. 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 There you go. He, he had a one way ticket to Thailand. And yeah, seeing, seeing old Cliff with the K on the sidelines uh, during that game was. It, it was all seeing Cliff there, seeing Benny Wiley there, just the whole gang, man. It was just a, it was a great feeling on. Gosh, on I, I, I want Mule Shoe to go to the NFL next year just so I can pull all of the receipts all the way back to like February of 2022, where I was saying I bet he's at USC two years and that's it, and I bet I just, he rides Caleb Williams coattails into the league. Yeah, I think so too. Some are saying, well, he'll be in Carolina. Well, Carolina's not going to have the number one pick. Uh, Chicago gets Carolina's pick. So maybe Muleshoe 
does end up in Big Ten country after all. He's with the Chicago Bears or something. Maybe maybe he's in Vegas like Chapstick is saying. Una, the, the opportunities, I'm sure, are uh, endless. But they're, everyone at the end of the year will say, huh, look at the Heisman Trophy winners that he's had. And he had the Heisman runner-up Jalen Hurts, and he never won a playoff game? Weird. Very weird. It, it feels like the tides are uh, turning on the narrative around Muleshoe nationally, though, doesn't it? Yeah, that Notre, that Notre Dame game opened a lot of eyes. A lot of eyes. Ronnie Crimson, who is a <laughs> Chicago Bears fan, texted in all caps uh, to say, no, not the Bears. Ronnie, I agree with you, man. I'm not a Bears fan. I'm a Cowboys fan. But um, I will uh, – my Cowboys fandom will be no more if he is the head coach. I've already said that. I don't know who I'll root for. Maybe I don't root for anyone. But it damn sure won't be the Dallas Cowboys if he's the head coach. Ronnie, I'll save a seat for you on the Tampa Bay bandwagon if Mule Shoe is the next head coach of the Chicago Bears. How about that? Did you like the creamsicles yesterday? The offense wasn't great. The team wasn't great. No, Did you like the uniforms? I, yeah, I like the creamsicles. Yeah. I'm glad they brought him back. Haven't seen him since, what, 2009, 2010? Wow. The freaking really? one-shell rule, man. So glad that has been abolished. We've talked a lot today about Dylan Gabriel, his season – his chances at a Heisman Trophy, he's been better this year. The numbers say that. The eye test says it. Everything says Dylan Gabriel's been not just better, but much better from this year to last year. But where, where's been the most noticeable difference to you as to where Dylan Gabriel has been better from this year to last year? Oh, man. That's a good question. I had not really considered that. Because I, I think he has shown incremental improvement in just about every capacity. I, this is kind of general, but I would say comfort. Can I say that? Like, is well, that too? He, he does. I mean, I, I think if you're talking about just what's more noticeable about him, like I think the deep ball is a lot better. Um, I think the intermediate passing game has been a lot better. Maybe that's some people's responses, well, admit- but just overall comfort and just. Confidence is clearly better yeah, than and it confidence was last year. confidence might be a better word to answer that specific question because he is more confident. He has more trust in his receivers. He's more willing to take calculated chances to the point where you see him try to put balls maybe where he wouldn't have tried to put them a year ago, and it doesn't even look like he's taking a true risk because. He's putting it up there for a guy like Nick Anderson or Jaden Gibson where you've got a pretty good sense that if you if you throw those guys a catchable ball, they're going to go up there and outmaneuver a defensive back to make the catch. Yeah. Yeah, just overall confidence looks better, man. Um, he's, he's moving around a lot better. I think his – like the ability to get him involved in the run game I, I think helps. I, I think he's been better in like all areas, though. He, he's just – consistency – and, and maybe more important than anything else, what did we talk about all offseason that he needed to do a better job of? Hitting the layups, right? And there's still been a couple of missed throws. People were upset after the Cincinnati game because he missed a couple of those layups. But, man, for the most part, the layups that have been there for the offense, he's hit on those. So no, no complaints. No complaints really in any area for Dylan Gabriel for me. Sarks Vodka says, uh, no, wait, this is kind of off topic. I was going to read it. I thought it was going to have to do with Dylan Gabriel. It doesn't. It's about OU basketball. We'll get to that in due time. Uh, but Softball Steve says, DG stays in the pocket like a pro and makes his passes consistently and accurately. 
from the 405, how interesting would the Heisman ceremony be with BV, Gabriel, oh Muleshoe, and Caleb? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I didn't even think about oh, that. Yeah. That's a very realistic possibility. Yeah, and they, um, like, in some of the features, like the videos that they show, they love to show, like, the Heisman finalists hanging out with one another, which I don't think, like, Caleb Williams and Dylan Gabriel hanging out would be awkward or weird, but just BV and Lincoln being in the same room, that, that would be that'd be enjoyable, very enjoyable. Uh, from the 918, leadership is DG's biggest improvement. He has taken on the vocal role, and the whole team has followed. Uh, a 405 listener says, not taking sacks, way better. Okitom agrees, more comfort in pocket, more confidence. And Chapstick says, and I agree with this assessment 100%, I think DG is better this year, but I think the talent around him is so much better than yeah. last year, and that's helped. Well, you know, um, talking about Dylan Gabriel and his overall confidence, I'm wondering, because like an hour ago, someone brought up Ethan Downs. Well, Ethan Downs just had his best game at OU, and we discussed, like, okay, well, what's Ethan Downs going to do with that? Like, what's he going to do now? His confidence has never been higher. Just played his best game against Texas. What does he do now? I think the same can be asked about Dylan Gabriel. And we're saying, like, he's better with all these things, but that he just made the biggest play of his life. The last throw that he made in a game, Parker, he made the biggest throw of his life. And his confidence level is, like Ethan Downs, it's probably never been higher than what it is right now. So as improved as Dylan Gabriel has been, what does he turn that into? Is he going to be an even better product of himself the next six games than he was the first six games, seeing as where he's at right now mentally? Maybe, hopefully. I, that's a fun thing to think about. Yeah, and if you can get some – I guess last week I said if Dylan Gabriel wants to stay in contention, legitimate contention for the Heisman Trophy, all he needs to do is do exactly what he did throughout the first half of the season in the second half. But if you can get Dylan Gabriel to level up his game – in the second half of the season, oh boy, Oklahoma's going to make noise, Tyler. Yeah. They are going to make noise. Yeah, um, and they've already made noise, but I uh, I agree, man. All right, I'm at the Newcastle Casino today where new members earn up to $250 in rewards play. It's happy hour as well. Every Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m., 450 cans of Budweiser, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra. All out here at the Newcastle Casino. More to come next. More OU football right here on The Ref. It is Rush on The Ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, Reaction Monday, live at the Newcastle Casino today. I've got a top ten list of the best ten games in college football up to this point of the season. If I were to ask you who ESPN or what game ESPN is ranked, as the best game in the sport so far to this point, what would you guess? It's been the best game of college football so far. It, it has to be OU Texas, right? I thought the same thing, man. I thought. Don't I thought tell me they said be. Oregon Washington. Yeah, they put Washington into Oregon at Come number one. Come on. No way, right? I mean, it, no, it came no down way. To a field goal, and, and, and Oregon misses the field goal, but. Yeah, I thought OU Texas is a better game. It should be number one. I, I'm sure some recency bias. Working in there for ESPN. Man, I, I don't know. I OU Texas got it. Just just for what it meant for both programs, like the scene, the atmosphere, all that. Like the game itself, Dylan Gabriel, a legacy moment. There wasn't a legacy moment in that Washington-Oregon game. There was an OU Texas. Storylines galore there. 
I'd have it at number one. Yeah, one was Washington and Oregon. Two was OU and Texas. Three? Number three, Parker, was a game from this weekend. And a game that I turned off once the score was 29 to nothing. Uh, Stanford over Colorado, 46-43 in double overtime on Friday night. Again, like, great game. Third best game of the season to this point? Mm. Really? Like, half this list is Colorado games, dude. Colorado Stanford is three. Colorado, Colorado State is five. Colorado TCU is six. They're like they're all over this list, man. Uh, I, I I know they played some close games, but I I this whole college football season hasn't been about Colorado to me. But maybe maybe I'm alone in that. Thought. So ESPN loves them some Coach Prime. All right, then. yeah. But hey, is that true? By the way, I saw a tweet that Shadur Sanders tweeted out a link to his merch store at halftime of that game on Friday night? I didn't bother to confirm whether that was true or not, but I would it shock me? Would it shock anyone? No. No. I mean, that, that would make that loss even funnier, though, if he's tweeting out merch <laughs> links at halftime. And, and here's the thing, man. Like, it's 29 nothing, And judging by a lot of reactions on social media on Saturday morning, you were like me and said, eh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go to sleep. Colorado's going to win this game easily. A lot of you woke up like me Saturday and said, what? They they blew that lead? It's one thing to blow a 29-point lead to a team, but Parker, Stanford is awful, dude. Stanford lost terrible. to Sacramento State earlier this oh, year. Oh, how Troy, do you blow a 29-point lead to Stanford? Troy Taylor left Sacramento State, FCS Sacramento State, to become the head coach at Stanford. Lost to his old program earlier this season. Stanford was what one and four going into that Colorado game. Were they one and four, man. Tyler? I I think that's right, man. Yeah, <laughs> so bad. Wow, you you blow that lead to a team like Stanford. And hey, this isn't going to be Stanford's moment where they you know get like four more wins. No, Stanford is bad. They're going to continue to be bad for the rest of the year. That's how that story ends for them. Five eight zero says if Texas would have won the game. ESPN would have been all over it, saying it would have been number one. Maybe. Maybe. OU Architect says you have to consider OU Texas was a neutral site. Well, yeah, okay. I, I, can, I considered that. It, like, I think it made the atmosphere even better. Yeah, I think that bolsters the case. One. I think that yeah. bolsters the case rather than being a detriment to it. 580, they're in love with Colorado and Texas. Bunch of liberals. <laughs> Um, 918, if Dylan Gabriel is the only OU quarterback to win a championship and a Heisman in the same year, he would legitimately be considered as the greatest quarterback for OU of all time. Yeah, I don't know about all that. Maybe He'd, the greatest season. But. Yeah, yeah, sure. Would he be? Would he hear his name mentioned amongst the great Oklahoma quarterbacks of old? Absolutely. Would he be considered the greatest quarterback in the history of the program because he won the Heisman and won a championship in the same year? I, would it be remarkable? Yes. Would I go that far? No. Blue Whale Sooner says, hypothetical take here, but I wonder to what degree having a surefire threat behind him sharpened Dylan Gabriel this year. I was a detractor. He has improved, especially if his legs are going to be a problem for opponents like they were against Texas. So Blue Whale Sooner saying, how much has hashtag competitive depth helped Dylan Gabriel this year? And I think it's natural to say that it hasn't been an overwhelming factor, but 
I think it's just human nature. If someone's behind you and there's at least somewhat of a chance to take your job that, you know, I, I think Dylan Gabriel would have had a good season regardless. But it's just human nature to say, yeah, okay, someone's behind me. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll step it up even more so. By the way, I don't know if you caught this, but do you see the same voter that had Texas ranked higher yes. than Oklahoma in last week's poll had USC ranked higher than Notre Dame in this week's yeah. poll? Yeah, and didn't she, Emily Liker, right? Isn't that, yeah. Is that her name? Didn't she switch it yesterday to where OU's now back in front of Texas in her poll? Gosh, imagine that. So OU fans, you got to her. Nice job. Nice well, job gosh, man, take your job seriously. Take your responsibilities seriously. You're not taking it seriously if you have USC ranked higher than Notre Dame when those two teams just played each other and one of them won by 28 points. And, like, I look at the final score from Saturday and I say, okay, Notre Dame 48, USC 20. Why does it feel like Notre Dame won by more than 28 points? I don't know, it, it just feels like like 28 points is a – I mean, Notre Dame dominated the game. I don't know, it just felt like they won by more for some reason, just because of how dominant they were in the uh, in the second half. Yeah, and again, and then, like she did, move, she did move Oklahoma back up past Texas in the poll. Crazy, which, like, what changed? They were both on by this past week. So if you're gonna have an opinion, at least stand by it. Yeah. If you're gonna have a hot take, an unpopular opinion, at the very least, maintain that opinion. In the face of criticism. How do you feel about my early week feel? I'm around like um, OU winning about 42 to 20 this weekend, which is a cover, by the way. What do you think? 42-20, early week feel for OU-UCF. I think it's more lopsided than that, Tyler. Yeah? I think I think Oklahoma runs away. I'm going to say... UCF, I mean, they've got one path to victory here. Yeah, they really and, do. UCF's path to victory is winning this game about 45-42. to 42. I'll save my score prediction for Friday, actually. But suffice to say, I like Oklahoma big over UCF. Which would be impressive. I, I know UCF has not looked like a great team, but they've got a good offense. They can run the ball a little bit. John Rice Plumlee's a, a nice player. He's a nice quarterback. Um, you shut down these guys, it'll be even further proof that, yeah, OU defense is uh, it's on the right path. They're they're in a they're in a really good they're in a really good spot here. 405-651-3439 is the text line. We'll get to some of your text. More OU football as well coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. Newcastle Casino is where I'm hanging out today. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, we got you till 6 p.m. Oh boy. Text line has been uh, popping off all day today. I love this one from the 903. When we get to the SEC, we're not doing the stupid SEC chant in non-conference games, right? That's from Paris Sooner. Parker, I hope next year you're not chanting anything in any of your non-conference games because your four non-con games are Temple, Houston, Tulane, and Maine all at home. Those uh, are not opponents where you feel like you have to chant anything to the uh, to the other fan base. So, no, I'm going to guess no SEC chants are thrown at Temple, Houston, Tulane, or Maine fans. So it's a four-game non-conference slate next year. Yeah, well, yeah, the SEC, uh, at least for the time being, is going with that eight-game yeah, conference schedule. I guess that hadn't dawned on me. It's simple math. It should have. But eight conference games means four non-conference games. So... 
Temple, Tulane, Houston, Maine. Got to figure that's an easy 4-0 start, right? Easy 4-0 start. I mean, if you lose to – like, Houston does not look like a good football team this year. I know no. they won on Thursday night, but come on. Tulane has been a pretty good team, but I believe they lose Michael Pratt at they the will. end of this year. So that's a huge loss. Temple, um, you should not lose to Temple and Maine. Well, self-explanatory there. But outside of that, yeah, you go to Ole Miss, you go to Missouri, you go to LSU, you go to Auburn, of course, Texas and Dallas, and then the three home games we're all looking forward to, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Alabama all at home. Is it too early to say I I really like how that 2024 schedule stacks up for OU? Like. Jaden Daniels is leaving LSU this year. Yeah, yeah, he'll be in the draft next year. So he's gone from LSU. Um, I don't – well, for an SEC schedule, I definitely don't hate it. Like, that's – how many of those teams are favored over Oklahoma right now? You just want to go on a neutral field or where those games are actually being played? Because I think the only ones where OU is a dog – I don't know. Would they even be a dog at LSU? I don't know if they would. No, be I don't think point. they are. I don't think they're a dog at LSU. Um, OU, like Bama still gets, you know, they still get a lot of credit, rightfully so. Honestly, man, the only one might be OU, Alabama, Norman, but that would, I think that would have worse might be like, pick them. It's a long way off, and there's plenty of business to deal with between now and whenever we start legitimately previewing the 2024 season. But right now, Tyler... A ye- almost a full year away from kicking off SEC play, I see a very clear path to the SEC championship game for Oklahoma. Ooh, First year in the SEC. How about that Monday hot take, huh? <laughs> hey, 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 that's what you come here for. Well, here, here's like the the way too early question. Do we think OU is going to be better next year than they are this year? And there's a lot of things that need to be sorted out, but I think that there's a very decent chance that OU in year three is a better team than they were in year two. If you get guys like Bowman and Stutzman to come back, then I'll really feel good about that. And again, again, Tyler, if right now you would be favored at the venues at which the games will be played against every single one of your opponents on the 2024 schedule, and if you are a better team in 2024 than you are in 2023... I don't like. I don't think it's premature to sit here and say, "Yeah, Oklahoma's going to have a chance to make the SEC championship, a very good chance to make the SEC championship in year one." Peyton, good point. The sport changes so much year to year, boys. It, yeah, I mean, especially now, right, with the transfer portal. I mean, it changes now more than ever. Um, a team can instantly look a lot different by losing a player or two or gaining a player or two via the portal. So there's um, there's a lot of truth to that. Back to uh, current affairs, though. We've known for about a week now that Andrew Anthony is lost for the remainder of the year. Mm. And I think the sentiment by us and the text line has been, okay, that's a loss. And we're not going to say that it's not. But OU's in position at wide receiver to pick up the slack there left behind by Andrew Anthony. Now that OU's actually going to play a game on Saturday, is there a chance at all that we're overlooking that injury? Or this is to you in the text line, do we still feel okay that, well, no, Andrew Anthony sucks, but Nick Anderson – Brennan Thompson, like, they're going to figure out to, to make up for that lost production. How, how, how do we feel a week later, I guess? I feel decent. And my immediate knee-jerk reaction was, okay, Andrew Anthony is not a guy you're replacing one for one. You have to replace him in the aggregate. But 
between Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson and Brennan Thompson and Gavin Freeman as well, whom we haven't seen a ton of offensively for Oklahoma, I fully believe that the pieces are there in front of you to make up for the loss of Anthony. And, again, the injury sucks. It does suck. I'm not trying to diminish the injury at all. But in losing Andrell Anthony, it creates additional opportunities for guys that probably deserved those opportunities anyway. Like, yeah. It makes the distribution of snaps almost easier and more attainable. Does that make I, sense? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I like the point of you can't replace him one-to-one, but you can replace him in the aggregate. Like, I, I think that Farouk has been a deep ball guy this year. I mean, they threw one deep ball against Texas, really, and he, he came up with that. Um, I think that Nick Anderson can do pretty much anything at wide receiver. The question is, do you lose anything from your downfield passing game? And I think with what we've seen from Farouk and Nick Anderson, the answer to that can be no. But I think they've got to show it, you know, more and more consistently that they're, you know, trustworthy deep ball guys. I tell you what the real X factor of the offense is here moving forward. If Brennan Thompson can i'm serious man like yeah. you can't yeah that's tough to defend like that that's just speed that you can't account for like that's a real x factor here down the stretch if brennan thompson it sounds like he's close to 100 sounds like he's back if he if he's just like some sort of a threat within within the offense that's going to help out quite a bit replacing a guy like anthony this weekend in particular against ucf is one weekend where i would love to just see a ton of of Brennan Thompson. Get that guy the ball in open space and yep. make UCF tackle him. And it doesn't have to be a deep ball. It can be a, a, a bubble screen. It can be over the – like, just just get him the football with his hands in open space. Yeah, with as porous as that UCF defense is, you get Brennan Thompson the ball in space, he's going to eat. He's going to eat against this UCF defense. Yeah. Yeah, it's – I, I just like to get him in the offense, comfortable, just kind of, you know, in a groove a little bit. That could uh, could be a big deal because that speed on the field, like, e- even in situations where he's not getting the ball, it's something that you have to account for at all times, right? Like, a D, D coordinator's like, oh, God, like, <laughs> 15's out on the field. Like, yeah. if, he, if he's running straight, it's going to be hard for yeah, us to Don't, don't let that field. guy get behind you. Like, that's the only thing you're relaying to your defense at the line of scrimmage whenever you see Brennan Thompson trot on the field. Everything else but becomes secondary at that point. You're just trying to communicate to everybody, hey, that's the one guy that we can't let get behind us. Dave from Mizzou says Nicky Anderson needs to prove he can stay healthy. Uh, okay, like. He's been 100% healthy for all six games thus far this year. Sorks Vodka says no one has been better than Gibson, Jaden Gibson, in one-on-one battles down the field. He could break out and become DG's safety blanket with his size and hops. It's an interesting point there. Um, You know, we've talked about, well, Nick Anderson's got to pick it up, but even more so. Same thing for Farouk. Let's see about Brennan Thompson. Not that we haven't mentioned Jaden Gibson. He's had a highlight reel season with only like six or seven catches. But that could be a guy that gets more opportunities moving forward, and I think he should get more opportunities moving forward because he's been great. Every time they've given him opportunities, seemingly, he's come up with a big play. So I'm not going to count him out either. Yeah, and he's an X-factor like Brennan Thompson in a completely different type of way. Brennan Thompson is an X-factor in the sense that he's a home run threat on every single snap he's on the field. Jaden Gibson is an X-factor for this offense in that 
as his snap count continues to increase, he is one guy that is going to drastically improve your chances of being able to stay on the field on third down. Because if we have noticed one continuous trend with Jaden Gibson here in 2023, it's that he goes and makes competitive catches, man. Yeah. And so a guy with that type of wingspan, that type of athleticism, that type of catch radius, if you're just looking to move the chains, if you're looking to get your offense a new set of downs, Jaden Gibson is one of those dudes that all you got to do is get him to run beyond the sticks and put the ball somewhere in his vicinity and you feel pretty good about moving the chains. Does this say on the text line what I think it says? 402 says, oh, DG better watch out. Derek LeBlanc is coming for him. Oh, wait, Caden Green will take care of him. I, I thought it was someone legitimately saying, DG better watch out. Derek LeBlanc's coming this Saturday. Is he even playing for UCF? I, I haven't, I, I haven't paid bothered any attention. To, to look. Yeah, same, I have not paid any me, attention. <laughs> I know his LeBlanc. dad still watches all the OU games. Derek LeBlanc's dad, Ricardo. He's still His Twitter handle is literally at OUDNA LeBlanc. He hasn't changed it. No UCF DNA or whatever they, they have for their saying out there. Interesting. Uh, e. Freaky from Illinois. Key players are going to be lost for the year every year. The only injuries we couldn't really afford this year would have been Dylan Gabriel and Danny Stutzman. Yeah. Good point, E. Freaky. And the one injury that Georgia couldn't afford was Brock Bowers. And, well, look what situation they're in right now. He could be lost for the year. Which, by the way, they were in a close game with Vanderbilt on Saturday, and I don't feel like very many people are talking about that. There are concerns with that Georgia team sans Brock Bowers. Big concerns. I mean, there I, was concerns before. Like, I mean, they're still a good team, and yeah, you, you I, thought at any moment they could turn it on. But, dude, being a close game with Vanderbilt, come on. I'm going to be scrutinizing that team very closely over the next two, three, four weeks to see how they respond, how they're able to respond with their unquestioned best player on the shelf. Yeah. Um, one more before we hit a break here. Uh, Zach's asking when the first college football rankings come out. Is that the Monday or Tuesday after the after the Kansas game? I feel like it's normally Tuesday, oh, Tuesday October 31st, following uh, week nine. So, yes, that is the Tuesday after the Kansas game is when the first set of college football playoff rankings will be released. So, I know some are upset about the AP and the coaches poll. Those don't matter. The only ones that matter, college football playoff rankings. That's it. And guess what? If OU takes care of business from here on out, not only will they be in the college football playoff, they'll be the one or the two seed most likely in the college football playoff as well. So regardless of what the AP poll says, regardless of where Emily Liker is ranking you right (laughs) now, you're in a really good, really good situation at the midway point of the season. Final segment of the rush coming up next. Final segment of the day, closing it up here from the Newcastle Casino. It is the rush on the ref, Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. Dude, I got really triggered at a headline that I read earlier today. I think it was via The Athletic. It was throwing out the possibility of the Iowa Hawkeyes making the college football playoff, and I I, I just didn't expect to see a, a headline today talking about Iowa and the possibility of a college football playoff berth. And I know that the Big Ten West is garbage. I know that they have an easy schedule, but they just threw for 37 yards in a win at Wisconsin. I was not ready to see Iowa and college football playoff berth in the same sentence. But no, like it, it's legit. 
Tyler, because if Iowa wins out, they'll be in the playoff. They've got a very easy path to 11 and 1 and a spot in the Big 10 championship game and then all they got to do is upend Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan or whoever it may be, which look, in all likelihood that's not happening. But in technicality, yes, oh Iowa State gosh. is still alive in the college football playoff race. What's crazy is they have the worst offense in college football by yeah. a mile. Here is the headline. Iowa to the college football playoff, avert your eyes, but it's possible. Well, I know it's possible. They're a one-loss team, but, jeez. They're, oh, no thank you. 37 yards passing. But, hey, they won at Wisconsin. They, not only they win the game, they won by multiple scores at Wisconsin this, this weekend for throwing for 37 yards. Imagine, Parker, imagine what the reaction would be in a win if OU had a game where they threw for just 37 yards. Could you imagine? They would want that quarterback benched for the remainder of the season. I'm fairly certain, too, if my memory serves me correctly, that Iowa has either defensive or special teams points. Safety, pick six, punt return touchdown, etc. In six of their seven games thus far. Uh, would not would not shock me. I, that's the only other way that they're going to get points, man. That's it. Gosh, man. man. Like you, you, I, I just love that college football – gives us a world in which Iowa and USC can not only coexist in the same sphere, but have the exact same record through seven games. It's unbelievable. Uh, a quick peek ahead to Saturday in the conference. Of course, you got OU and UCF. OU a 19-point favorite right now over UCF Saturday at 11 a.m. Baylor at Cincinnati, a battle of two, two, and four teams. Cincinnati a two-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. OSU at West Virginia, two four and two teams. West Virginia minus three and half, uh, three and a half. Texas is back in action at Houston. Texas a twenty three point favorite. Tech at BYU. Texas at three and four. BYU's at four and two. Tech is a four and a half point favorite in Provo. How about that? That kind of tells you where uh, Vegas thinks BYU is at right now. And then uh, TCU at Kansas State. TCU at four and three. K State at four and two. K State a six and a half point favorite in that one. So yeah. Most people would agree, OU and Texas, the two best teams in the league. Um, I don't worry about Texas beating Houston, but how Texas bounces back from that tough loss will be interesting here moving forward. Yeah, it certainly will be. And, again, I think we're all just trying to figure out right now who the third best team in the Big 12 is. And these next two, three weeks should go a long way toward showing us who that team is. Again, I'm not convinced it matters because it looks like OU and Texas are on a collision course for the Big 12 championship game. But well, maybe a school like Kansas State makes a run. Maybe Oklahoma State has a run in them. Who knows, man? Hey, uh, keep it tuned on the ref for the next two hours. We've got the huddle from Rudy's Country Store and Barbecue coming up. And, of course, the Brent Venable Show coming up at 7 p.m. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on the ref. We're the Homeless Sooner fans.